We act as though comfort and luxury were the chief requirements of life when all that we need to make us happy is something to be enthusiastic about. Albert Einstein. Smart man. Smart man. Yes. We will not be reading a book by Einstein today. I don't think he actually has any books, so yeah, that's pretty hard to He's do. He's a little busy. Yeah, he was busy. He had other <laughs> stuff to do. <laughs> he probably would have listened to Made You Think, though. Probably. I think yeah, so. While solving some equations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just bopping his head to his iPod, hanging out in Switzerland. Makes sense. Sweden or Switzerland? I think it was. Yeah, Swiss. It was Switzerland. Switzerland, Swiss, right? yeah. Swiss patent office. Yeah. But today we are doing a slightly different format than normal. This is a listener's choice episode where we decided to mix it up a little bit and let all of you send in interesting questions for us to think about and talk about on the air. And we got some really great questions in from the email list, which everyone can join at majorthinkpodcast.com. We got some from emails, you know, to ourselves individually from our list. And I think we got a, a good, you know, a good collection of topics to talk about today. Yeah. It's- the cool thing was there were no repeats. Like we didn't have like a bunch of people asking the exact same question. We had a very like a wide variety of questions here. Yeah. It was a good mix. There were some that were more, I think, narrower into especially like the marketing world. Yeah. Which definitely. we're gonna skip over just because that felt a little off topic for the goal yeah. of the podcast. But a lot of others that were more general, broader fit with some of the things that we talked about. But we got a good mix, and I think that we'll have a pretty interesting kind of off-topic-y show here. So it should be fun. Yeah. And Hopefully some tangents. Hopefully some tangents. Lots of tangents. And since it is a beautiful, warm spring day here in New York without needing any jackets or anything, it's a little too warm out for our normal heated mushroom coffee. And so we're enjoying a nice iced mushroom coffee and it's the mocha style yeah neil's got the mocha flavor yeah, it's really good delicious so it's good what does it got in it it's got some cocoa powder some cinnamon yeah, cocoa powder i don't think there's cinnamon oh, actually no i cinnamon think i made that up yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's coffee cocoa a tiny bit of coconut sugar which i didn't know was a thing and yes. some chaga mushroom nice extracts so it's it's super yummy and i've got the regular mushroom coffee and iced it's so right yeah iced is very good yeah so if you're looking for a good summery drink that is Excellent one to try. And you can get your coffee at major thing pot or at foursigmatic.com <laughs> slash thing. Or they can go to major thingpodcast.com slash mushrooms. Or slash support. Slash support. Uh, <laughs> that, that is the one that actually works. If you try to go to slash mushrooms, yeah, you're we not. We should actually just link that. We should probably just link that up. Now that we're saying it, we may as well. Just, we have a month. Yeah, we, we got time. Month, All right. Yeah. Put it on the Asana. <laughs> It'll get done the day before this podcast. Exactly. Um, and if you're keeping track at home, there are a few different ways you can have your mushroom coffee now. So there's just the standard sort of hot coffee way. Then there's the Irish style. It's true. We've had we've done the <laughs> Irish style <laughs> yeah. as well. With some whiskey and some whiskey heavy cream. and heavy cream. That, that was, was so delicious. Good. That was, that was really so good. good. We gotta do that next winter again. We'll do that or again. before. Or before the winter. Maybe, Maybe we can come with Irish like a coffee. summer, yeah, iced yeah. Irish coffee. Or ooh, you know what? I bet you could do like a mushroom coffee espresso martini style. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had an espresso martini? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so just imagine really that good. but with mushroom coffee that instead of espresso. That sounds so good. That'd be Probably pretty good. We need they need to start like, well, they do pay us for this. So yeah. I was gonna say. That's why we're talking about (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Forsigmatic. Forsigmatic.com slash thing. Yep. But I think with that, we should uh, should just go ahead and dive right in. First question. This one's actually kind of fun because it made me realize that when we start these episodes, we just sort of 
start talking. Right. And there's no pre-roll introduction. Somebody coming into the show blind has literally no idea what context they're stepping into. They have no idea who we are or what the show is about. And I'm okay with that because I think it's kind of fun to not have the context and build it over time. And for people who listen a lot, it's annoying to have to fast forward through the intro every time. But one of the questions was, I'd like to hear you both talk about what you actually do for a living and how you got there. And then there's a second part to it, which we'll come to afterwards. So, Neil. What do you actually do for a living and how did you get there? Well, right now, what I'm doing for a living is I have a company called Unlimited Brewing, which basically helps anybody create their own beer brand. And a beer brand could be uh, kind of broken up in one of three ways. So one way is like time-based beers. So beers that are going to exist for a short period of time, basically an event, a conference, a wedding, your birthday party, any kind of like event-driven project. So that's, we're going to get it created for you. That could be a custom recipe or it might not be a custom recipe. It might just be a beer that already exists and you want some cool artwork on it. We'll go make that happen for you. The second category is for restaurants and hotels. So venues. We're basically a restaurant. Very often, it's like a chef who's really interested in using a specific kind of ingredient or pairing it with a certain type of food. And he he or she wants to design a recipe that kind of pairs perfectly with that. So that's kind of the second part of what we do. And then the third part is if you are somebody who has an audience of some sort, we can help you create a beer that audience would really like to buy from you. So something that's very on brand for what you're doing. Made you drink. Made you drink. That's coming. That's coming point. soon. Soon as U.S. regulations allow us to sell beer online, that will, <laughs> <laughs> that will be uh, that will definitely be coming. But yeah, so that's what we do. You know, we've been working on it full time now for like six months about. And before that was it was like a side gig. And I think it's a really good example of you don't know where things are going to go till you actually start working on them. Because I initially thought of this concept as like just a really interesting like side business in a way that I could make some money from my hobby of brewing beer at home. And it was basically initially to offset my expenses for brewing beer at home. That was like (laughs) the initial idea. (laughs) I was like, oh, this would be a fun thing to work on. And I had this, I had a beer blog and I was talking to a bunch of brewery owners and sort of like just, it just surfaced that there was a big, you know, there was a bigger opportunity there, but it only surfaced once I started doing something about it. So I would have never before working on it been able to predict that there was this kind of demand because it wasn't an existing market. We are creating the market. So there's no like market cap research study that you can like go to and be like the custom beer market is $20 billion. You know, because it's like doesn't exist. And I think there's a lot of really cool opportunities like that, that are out there that you can basically create the market yourself. That it's like, you can tap into a need that just isn't exemplified. And the great thing about that is, at least when you start, there's not going to be direct competition because there's no market. No. You're building it. So yeah, it's one of, that's like, I mean, one kind of useful thing I've learned through this process is just like, kind of just got to start, follow your hunch. And then the how I got there part, that's probably too long for <laughs> this podcast, but there is a NatChat episode. There is. That you can go to. So if you go to your favorite podcast player, go to NatChat, and then you'll find, uh, I guess it's, what's it titled? The Marathon oh, the of Mar- Books, <laughs> yes. Beer, and Philosophy with Neil Sony. So I think that's was, the title. That was mine and Nat's first podcast episode together. Yeah. It was like a three hour. Three hour marathon long. <laughs> was, the, was the right word. One of the most popular episodes it too. So it was, it was a good yeah. episode. Yeah. So that tells the whole story. Uh, yeah, that should so give you more backstory than <laughs> you were even asking for. Yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why I'll spare the three hour long marathon. Here. <laughs> but yeah, it's a. If you listen to that, and just the, the summary of it is that like I've done a whole bunch of weird, random things, and basically I haven't been able to. I would never have been able to predict I'd do any of those things with my education, which was chemical engineering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, we we probably recorded that a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like March or April. It's, it's got to be about when it came out, March or April, because Natchat oh. started in March, and we did anti fragile in June. 
we recorded June, that. That's right. When so you were some time yeah. in between. Interesting. Wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah. On another hand, it feels like way longer than a year, though. Yeah, it does a feel like way longer. A lot has happened. I mean, I guess when we talked uh, when we did the first episode, you hadn't gone full time on unlimited brewing, no, sort of a side thing. No, I, we had just done our first project. So we did our the timeline for unlimited brewing is I started it in like formed the company in November. That doesn't mean shit because we had no customers. Yeah. So <laughs> we had our first customer in March of 2017. Our second customer was in June of 2017, and then. We got our first couple of subscriptions in uh, like September, and then I dove in full time at the end of September. Okay. Uh, so you, you formed the company before you had a customer? Yeah. Oh, did you have to for regulation and stuff? Um, well, I had, oh, well, <laughs> the real reason is I had some expenses that I was wanted to deduct off my taxes. Oh, nice. That so we were a lot easier once you had the LLC. It was yeah. a lot cleaner to be like, well, these are startup expenses. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the thing, even if you're not doing a super serious company, just like make the LLC. It yeah. costs 300 it bucks. Cost very, no, I yeah. didn't even do the 300 buck way. That's, that's legal. Oh. I just went to the Maryland government website and just did the filing oh, myself, you did it, like, which was like, school. I think it was like $49 or something. Nice. It was nothing because <laughs> there was no company. There was no business. There was no revenue. There was nothing. It was just, yeah. I wanted to deduct all my trips to breweries. Right, right. Last year, <laughs> uh, and my beer supplies and all my research. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is you know, it is research, though, I guess, like the, yeah. all stuff did contribute to ending up starting the company. Like we use those breweries, today. anything those reasonably breweries business related, you can end up yeah. deducting. So it's it's a like this isn't rocket science to anybody, but like that's one of the great advantages of starting a company is like all the business expenses. Oh, yeah. The U.S. tax code is like extremely favorable to entrepreneurs, Well, especially if you're doing something where almost anything can be interpreted as client development then most of your meals, all of your travel, almost anything that you do day to day besides buying groceries and stuff can be considered a business expense. Yeah, or it's at least related. Yeah. So, I mean, if it is something that you're thinking about doing, you can do it Neil's way. Just go onto your local site and or your local state site and incorporate. I use incorporate.com. They're great. I think their basic package is only 250 or something. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to do. And also the only reason I had done it that way, again, can't predict how things go. I had just thought it was going to be a single member LLC where it's just Mm. me and nothing like nothing complicated. I really really thought it was just gonna be a complete side, like side hustle thing. Right. So I was like, yeah, I just want to have like a separate thing, like a separate layer that I can track everything under. I also wanted to open up a bank account under that and that long term wasn't necessarily the best way to do it. Yeah. But it was easy enough to solve later on when you need to go solve it. It's a good way to get started. It's a good way to get started. And yeah, I mean, to your point, like if you're thinking about doing something, you know, you might as well just like start tracking the expenses and stuff because like and you don't need to have income to deduct that off of you need income, but you don't necessarily need income in that business to deduct that off. Right. With if LLC. it's a single member LLC. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because exactly. it just counts as self-employed. You deduct it from your personal income. Yeah, which is great because I had a full-time job at the time. So I was right. a W-2 and was getting paid. And then this was deductible against that income, which is awesome. Because normally against W-2, you can't deduct stuff. Exactly. You can't deduct like your cell phone. You can't deduct travel. Books you're buying. Yeah. But yeah. once as soon as you have that separate LLC, it's like way easier because you can put all that stuff under the LLC. Yeah. And yeah. Not that we're accountants. We're not giving tax advice, but <laughs> it's not financial advice. This tax is what, advice. We, did. This is what yeah. we did and do and yeah. it's working out so far. Yeah. Until <laughs> we get on <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> tax day is Tuesday. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah. So I guess that's the short version for me. Nat? Nat. So we need to do a Nat chat type interview of you. That's true. I don't really have one. That would be awesome. Actually, yeah. I would be so down to do that as a bonus episode of this. Or, or bring bring back Natchat just for yeah, <laughs> you interviewing me. It'd yeah. be fun. I'd do that. I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you'd be good at it. So that'd be, that'd be fun. 
But yeah, so I I sit here and do this podcast for a living. <laughs> no, th- this is, our, this is our, our passion project. So what I do for a living is I run a business called Growth Machine, which is a SEO and content marketing agency. So we work with e-commerce businesses and tech startups primarily to take over their blogs and their written content production and get them on the front page of Google for a you know plethora of topics related to their business and their target customers. I started doing a form of this a year ago just in a consulting capacity because I had done it for my own site and my personal site had gotten fairly popular through SEO and I'd grown the site of the startup I'd been working at before through SEO. And so a few of these businesses were reaching out asking for help doing it. I did consulting projects for a few of them and then was just very frustrated that it was hard for them to implement the advice after I left. They didn't have the talent in-house. They didn't have the writers. They didn't have the free time to actually manage it. They usually underestimated how much of a time commitment and investment it takes, especially to keep on a regular publishing schedule. Yeah. So after that being frustrating, I kind of came back and then when moved to New York, started the agency where I said, okay, I'll hire the writers and have people on my team who help with the promotion, the production, the planning, the strategy, all of that. And the businesses can just hire us to take it over for them, right? Make it really effortless where we're just reporting to them, keeping them updated, getting help from them as they need it, but making it almost plug and play for them where they're getting it just totally managed as a service. And that's been working out super well. I mean, we only started it back in September, but it's me and three other full-time people now. We're working on the content for nine or 10 sites, just sort of like totally taking them over. And we've been able to get cool results for them. I mean, some of our better ones, we've more than doubled the traffic they're getting from Google in three months. Yeah, that's massive. Which is sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, our, our best one went from about 48,000 per week to now over 110,000 per week. Wow. Which is just bonkers. Yeah. So, <laughs> How long did that take? Three months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Was that just like what changes were needed? Just regular publishing, new different types of articles? We didn't publish any new articles. Structural we, changes? No, or? we went back and rewrote old articles. Oh, smart. Yeah. yeah. Rewrote our old articles and re-promoted them. And that just, I mean, really got some important stuff up from, you know, either hanging out in the second page, the first page or six, seven, eight position on the first page to one, two, three, or just moving stuff up a little bit. And since there's such a power curve with which Google rankings get the most traffic, if you move from five positions to a two position, you'll probably five X the traffic you get to that. Yeah. So yeah, that's been super cool. And I mean, everything before that is probably... Again, it would take too long to dive into entirely, but the we'll definitely do that. Up, that'd be another cool bonus. Episode. Well, I was I was going to say we'll the, the other context worth mentioning here is that Neil and I actually went to the same university, yeah. <laughs> but didn't know each other there. We knew like so many of the same people. Yeah, we knew a lot of the same people. I mean, we're going back for an alumni weekend with mutual friends. Yeah, and but yeah, I mean, we never hung out or interacted when we were there, and we went through the same startup accelerator in Pittsburgh. Yeah, was it two a cycle apart, one cycle or two cycles? I was apart? twelve. I was cycle 12. Do you remember what you were? What uh, time of year was that and what year? Oh, I was spring 2014. Okay, I was two years before you then. Okay. Because I was 2012. So yeah. did you go through when you were a junior? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. same. So Yeah, which makes sense. Which I'm makes sense, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but we didn't know each other at that time because I had left Pittsburgh by then. Although you gave a presentation to my cycle. You did a presentation on sales from oh, Mom Trusting. Okay, yeah. yeah. You were in that room? I was in that room. Yeah. <laughs> Learning things about each other, right? No, yeah. Turn this recording. That's I awesome. thought I told you that before. No, 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 I don't think so. Or maybe I just didn't. That, that, was, that was why I followed you on Twitter. 
Oh, and that's where we really started talking. And that was where we started talking. By the way, Twitter is a magical tool. I've met so many of my really, like now really good friends. I like got to know them on Twitter, which sounds weird, but that's like definitely not uncommon, I feel like. No, not at all. (laughs) And some of the people who I have casual one-off interactions with, but then who are active on Twitter, I end up developing much better friendships with. Like Ryan's a perfect example of this. I feel like Ryan and I are pretty good friends now, mostly because of Twitter. <laughs> Dave is the same way. Like people who are active on Twitter, I just end up becoming much better friends yeah. with. Twitter's like, I think by far the only social network that I use. I mean, I use Instagram sometimes, but like it's Twitter number one and then everything else is like a- Twitter's really the only one part. I care about. Yeah. It's, it's just great. It's just, I think the real time nature of it helps. Less pictures, less bragging. I mean, there is bragging. But There's some. I mean, I, I had a really good tweet about this once, but I can't remember my <laughs> <Nice>. premise. <laughs> Which we'll oh, link to the tweet if we can find it. Well, okay. So I think part of what it is is that Twitter primarily rewards authentic, engaging conversations, yeah. which is also why it's so hard to monetize because it's really hard to make an ad that feels that way. Yeah. But since Facebook kind of rewards clickbaity headlines and, you know, exciting photos and stuff, it's easier to get away with that there. Right. But if you use Twitter and you don't really follow any brand accounts, then you'll have a great time. And even some brand accounts can be funny. Like, like Wendy's. Brands. Yeah, the yeah, brands yeah, yeah. that actually do well on Twitter are the ones that are like clever. They create like funny content, engaging content. They act like a person. Exactly. Yeah. And Twitter doesn't throttle them. So right. they don't like make it so, oh, you have a million followers, but you have to pay us, you know, to promote the post here at followers like where Facebook does that. Yeah. And I think that encourages brands to like not try to be as clever on Facebook because it doesn't really matter how clever it is. If you pay them, it'll show up in people's feeds. And everyone has been moving away from using Facebook for organic business development. Yeah. It used to be that if you had hundreds of thousands of fans on Facebook, that meant something. Yeah. But now it just means that you have to pay to reach the people who have already opted into hearing from you, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Which you probably have paid to build that audience in the first place, which is... So you have to pay to build the audience, (laughs) and then you have to pay to reach the audience. Yeah, it's... Stick stick to your own platforms. Yeah. Or Twitter. Or Twitter's good. Twitter's good. But yeah, Twitter's a great place to get to know people, too, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Twitter feels like the only truly open social network as well, where most people don't have their accounts on private. Yes. So like, especially you can... I mean, you can't expect them to respond, but you could tweet at pretty much anyone you want. And there's a chance they'll respond. There's a chance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there, there's a good chance they'll see it. And many celebrities, it seems like, actually control their own Twitter accounts, whereas right. they might not control their own Facebook page or Instagram account. The ones who have popular Twitter accounts definitely control their Yeah. Own. And you can very quickly tell. Who's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Donald Trump probably controls his own Twitter oh, account. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would be like the funniest agency thing if it ever came out that it was actually all an agency. <laughs> yeah, we're the genius behind Trump's Twitter account. It's like genius question mark. Yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk definitely controls his own Twitter account. Yeah. Uh, I found out that there's an agency that runs Dan Bilzerian's Instagram account. Really? Yeah. It's not just him. Eh, that I, Maybe it's hindsight bias now, but I feel yeah. like I can believe that, but I don't but know. But I, I was both disappointed what was the name of the and super impressed. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. I was curious if they also do other people's because that would be interesting. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Instagram feels like it's more agencyable. Yeah, I guess than Twitter. Yeah, a little bit because it's pretty easy to just post inspirational, like pretty exactly. shit on Instagram and yep. get a lot of followers. Exactly, or right. use the right hashtags. Use the right hashtags. You know, just post pictures of dogs and or <laughs> naked women, and exactly. so really you're gonna have hundreds of thousands <laughs> <Yeah>. of followers. <laughs> Something out. <laughs> so this is how you market on Instagram. But yeah, Twitter, like that's where I think you and I probably yeah Twitter first got to start talking. That's where we started hanging out and talking. That's how you met a deal. I know you introduced yeah. me via tweet. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Looking for a designer. Crazy how that works. I know. Like, yeah. Twitter's great. Twitter's awesome. 
Yeah, highly recommend if you're not using Twitter to go use Twitter. Go use Twitter. Yeah, get off Facebook, use Twitter. Yeah. If you didn't see my Medium article <laughs> this week, you're, you're getting this a month later, but <laughs> very popular, very popular Medium article about deleting <laughs> Facebook. And uh, now Zuckerberg has hacked and destroyed my computer. So I just can't go on the internet anymore. <laughs> That is not a factual statement. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case, you know, any like lawyer out there is getting all hot and bothered about <laughs> people making uh, false accusations. So, All right. I guess part two of this question. Oh, yeah, part two is favorite other podcasts. You go first this time. All right. I'm going to pull mine up because I can never remember. You can't remember off the top of my head. Well, sometimes I can. Sometimes I can't. Okay. So ones that we mention relatively frequently, Jocko, Joe Rogan, Waking Up, Sam Harris, Hardcore History with Dan Carlin, Jordan Peterson podcast. Those are all excellent. Other ones that I really like, Invest Like the Best. Mm, yeah, it's very good. One. There's one called Drunken Taoist. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think I told you about that one. I think you, I think you told me about That's it, too. Uh, Daniele Bellelli. Yeah, I love his voice. His voice is his voice amazing. Is amazing. Yeah. Initially, I thought he was making it up. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. The first time I ever heard I heard him on an interview in another podcast. Okay. And I was like... His accent is so like Italian. It is the most that, hardcore Italian yes, accent ever. It was ever. so Italian that I thought he was faking it. He was like, like a caricature. I was like, I was like, this is so good that it's either gonna be like the most like the quintessential Italian, yeah. or someone's just making fun of Italians. But it's a real accent. It's real. He's awesome. He's he awesome. was on another podcast this week, which I haven't listened to the episode yet. But well, he was on one of the ones I subscribed to. I saw Rogan. He was on oh. Jocko. Jocko, yeah. And he was on Rogan, actually. I haven't heard either of those yet. Yeah, the Rogan one's very good. Okay. I don't actually know his background. I just know that I've just heard his podcast and he's like a funny guy. Yeah, well, he's also got History on Fire. Right, which, which I've subscribed to. to, but I haven't never listened to. Yeah, I haven't listened to yet either. But it's probably good. Uh, Unchained is a very good crypto podcast. A16Z, I like for yeah, I startup tech stuff. Some, I actually subscribe, do subscribe to that, but I haven't listened to any episode. Uh, they, they have good stuff. Uh, Kevin Rose's oh, podcast yeah. is quite good. Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish. Found My Fitness, Fronda Patrick is really good. Tim Ferriss or no? No, no more Tim Ferriss? No, I don't really listen to any of his stuff Are anymore. Are you still subscribed? I'm still subscribed, but I don't know the last time I downloaded it. I listened to, wow, it must not have been that good if I can't even remember. I listened to yeah. one like last week. He has some great ones in his archive, though. The Jamie Foxx ones were really good. Chaka ones were, were good. Chaka ones are excellent. Yeah. The last one I listened to that I thought was great was the one with the professional escort. Well, I haven't listened to that. I have that in my queue, but I haven't listened to it. That one's awesome. She's so good. Uh, okay, the erotic playbook of a top earning sex worker. Yeah, I saw that. Alice Little. That one's really, really good. But that's the last one I've listened to. Yeah, I mean, he had some great ones back in the day, though. Yeah. And the cool thing is you could still listen to the archives. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Yeah, go back to the archives. Listen to the Naval Ravikant oh, episodes. That, oh, yeah. Those are really good, the too. The Peter Atia episodes. Yep. The Dom D'Agostino ones. Yeah. The Jocko ones. Kevin Rose ones are good. Kevin Rose ones are always funny yeah. and interesting. Um, yeah, he's had some. Kelly Starrett. I never heard that one. Oh, that was like episode two or three. Okay, I must have not heard that. And there's a couple of other ones. Too. Oh, he had, um, whose first name is Derek? What's his last name? The CD baby. Oh, Derek Sivers. That episode is good. I like that yeah, one Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, the Derek Sivers one is good. Scrolling through. And these episodes Kevin are Kelly like ones are great. Yeah, these, these episodes are, are like three hours. That's the thing like, is the first I'd say fifty to hundred episodes of that show were amazing, yeah. and then it kind of I don't know. I think he ran out of really fantastic guests to talk to. No offense to the later people, or maybe they're just like people I'm less interested. In. I was gonna. That's what I was gonna yeah. say. Right. I think it's I think he broadened his he audience. Has, he has high caliber guests even now, but they're wider. Like they're more mainstream. I feel yeah, like it, it moved away from the core, the original core audience, yeah. the like four hour work weekend body right. type people, which was maybe his goal. With yeah, I, I think it was his goal. Yeah. So it's, you know, can't criticize him too much. The Ed Cook ones are very good, too. 
I don't think I've heard this. Oh, wait. The Memory Grandmaster. Oh, yes, I have yeah, heard. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, yours. I would add, so all of those, uh, pretty much all of those I listen to as well. Not, not uh, what's the chained one? I don't listen to Unchained? That yeah. That's good. I should try it out. If you're, if you're into that. crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I like. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Hardcore History. So you mentioned that one. The only ones I'd add, I listen to a bunch of sports ones. In okay. Addition. So Bill Simmons is awesome, which is like the most mainstream sports podcast ever to shout out. That's like the one everyone's gonna make fun of me for if they Got listen to sports. <laughs> They're like, ah, everybody listens to that one. He just gets really good guests on. He had last week or two weeks ago. In one week, he had Al Pacino, and then he had Kevin Durant. Cool. Back to back episodes. He does three a week, and those were two of the three guests. Were like second or third best basketball player in the world and one of the best actors of all time. Nice. Pretty good set of guests. And then he's also just like not a good interviewer, but in an endearing way. Like he's just like a normal dude. He almost sounds like he's at a bar just like talking to the other person. It sounds like Joe Rogan, but kind of exactly. sports fans. Yes. Yeah. No, exactly. Where it's not, he's not coming at it from this like, oh, I'm this like very, like I know all about sports kind of thing. He's coming at it from like, I'm just this normal fan. I'm not, but he's not a fan in the sense he's like in awe of the other person, mm-hmm. but he's just like talking to them. Um, so he'll like challenge them on stuff and sometimes they get mad. Nice. Um, but it, yeah, it just comes across like a normal dude. So that's a good one. Let's see. If you ever just want comedy sports in a podcast, uh, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp are hilarious because they basically very rarely agree on anything, but you can tell it's fully manufactured. Like they're just trying to, and then they just come up with amazing ways to insult each other nice. on things that don't matter at all. <laughs> So it's all it's basically comedy, but with sports as the theme around it. That's the topic with which they disagree, but then you really listen for the insults. Those are the <laughs> <Got it. laughs> those are good. Yeah, I guess those are kind of the two. And then let's see if there's any others. Peterson's, I gotta say, isn't as good ever since the biblical lectures have ended. Like I've, it's very hit or miss. Yeah, I haven't actually listened to all of them. <laughs> I've like tried, I've dabbled, but I haven't been too impressed. The lectures were good. That's his like style like he does well with lectures i feel like i think he's best in those lectures and on other people's podcasts i agree with that yeah because on other people's podcasts he can't ramble for an hour straight right at least with a good interviewer yeah at least with a good interviewer i mean but even on joe rogan right he doesn't ramble too much because joe will interject right exactly or you know when he was on jocko right they're having a dialogue and i think that's where he really shines he needs somebody to help kind of keep him on topic and keep rolling. Right. So he definitely runs into that problem in the podcast. And that was the problem with him speaking live too. Yeah. Right. He gets stuck in a, like a wormhole almost. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, oh, the only other one I'll add is uh good beer hunt. No, actually two others. I'll add. Good beer hunting, which is basically this, I think there's three hosts, but they never are on the same episodes because they're all in different areas. Oh, okay. So one's in Europe, one's in the U S or I think two are in the U S but just one's West coast, one's East coast. And I just interview brewers and they go, it's kind of like a Nat chat type of thing, except just specifically for brewery owners and founders. Cool. So it's just really interesting to hear people's stories and yeah, just like where they come from. And it's less about the beer, but just more about like, I mean, it's definitely about beer, but it's also very much about their backgrounds. And it's pretty interesting to hear like the different places people came from, because it's a weird industry where obviously some products are super high end and like they're trying to really compete with like high end wines, but then it's also a very blue collar drink. So you have like this really interesting set of backgrounds where some people come from like McKinsey and some people come from like working in a factory yeah. and they lost their job. And then they're like, they started brewing and they worked for like minimum wage at a brewery and were like, got really into it and then started their own. And just like a really interesting set of backgrounds. So you get to hear those stories. And then Brewer's Journal is another one, which is that's like a UK specific podcast, but same exact idea. That one focuses more on the actual beer and like different techniques and hops or hop varieties. And yeah. 
Cool. Very beer nerd podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas good beer hunting is, I would say, more just like human story. So I think that's it. Nice. Yeah. Those are a lot of podcasts for people to listen to. It's of true. course, your favorite should be Made You Think. Obviously. <laughs> that's my favorite one to listen to. <laughs> it's like I get to have the conversation again. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Sean, for those two questions. That took Sean W. 30 minutes. On oh, the my first. gosh. <laughs> I love how we were like, oh, seven questions going to be enough? <laughs> of course, it's going to be enough. Maybe <laughs> two episodes, one question. Part one, part all, night. <laughs> all right. The next question is from, how do you think we'd pronounce this? Dejan? That's what I was going to go Yeah. Dejan, Dejan G. And <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Too. <laughs> Dejan G. So we apologize if we butchered that. I think that's correct. It could be Dejan. Could be Dejan. Yeah. Probably not Dejan. It's definitely not. That was a joke. Maybe we should ask. We should ask. Yeah. In the future, we'll ask for phonetic spellings of people's names. Yeah. Anyway, Mr. G. Mr. G. Uh, the question is, would love to know your routines for getting into flow. That's a good question. Yeah. So it depends what I'm trying to do. The example he gave in his question was if you need to write three to 4,000 words, do you have a preparation routine to get in and work effectively for two to three hours? So if we're talking about writing specifically, this is going to sound really bad, but a big part of my preparation routine is to get way over caffeinated uh, <laughs> i wasn't sure if you were gonna say caffeinated or drunk <laughs> no I don't, I don't write that well when i'm like actually drunk oh, okay. one drink can help but like if i have even like two i find i'm not as good and then three is like it's hopeless i might as well oh, yeah. just like start watching tv it's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna happen You're not getting anything done at that point. <laughs> yeah i don't know how like when we were doing daily rituals i don't know how those people were drinking and working all the time because i can't work effectively like I when i'm drinking i can do some work when it I'm depends drinking. how many drinks though yeah oh, but if i get to a good one to two drink buzz yes i can stay there i can do just like a prodigious amount of work yeah but if you miss that zone then that's the problem it's very hard to <laughs> keep it in there yeah. and once you're in that zone if you fall out of it you want to take a nap yeah and if you exceed it it's like all right let's go party right yeah. <laughs> so yeah mine is like um i'll just like start drinking coffee and usually it takes like one and a half cups of coffee and that's really where my sweet spot starts mm. and then it's kind of the same idea as we just talked about with alcohol you gotta like gotta like stay in the right amount because too much doesn't work yeah. But then I can also get too little and then I fall out of it. But I do find it's easier to like stay in it with caffeine than for alcohol because I just you just start writing and then you just start getting in the zone from there. But for me, this, so this, that's one part if we're talking about writing. And the second thing with writing for me is um, I find that like the first, you know, X number of words, I don't know what the number of words would be, just suck. So I just got to get those out of the way. I think once I had that realization, because I would always start and then just backspace and then like never actually start. I'd just be like, oh, that sentence doesn't. I couldn't get past sentence one. But then I, I just realized the first, you know, certain number of words are just going to be bad. So I just got to get those out of the way. Yeah. And I can always go back and correct them later, uh, which is often how I write. Like I'll write the beginning and then get into the middle and then I'll go back and edit. And the middle will actually be good. And then I'll just rewrite the beginning uh, at the end yeah. after I'm done. Yeah, it's just weird how that works. That's actually what I do with articles, too, yeah. is I'll usually just throw together a shit intro. Exactly. And <laughs> if, you just got to get it out of the way. Yeah. And then I'll write the rest of the article and then I'll go back and say, OK, how do I make this I think, good? I think I know why that is, though, because when you sit down to write an article, you probably know what you want to say. Right. You know the body. Like, you know what you're trying the points you're trying to get across. You probably have like a sketch in your brain of like what that article is going to look like. But that sketch, at least for me, never includes the intro or the end. Yeah. But by the time I'm done with the article, I can write the end pretty easily. But when I'm starting, I don't yet know like how to introduce that necessarily. Right. And also my brain is so ready to go into the body that it just is like, okay, how do we get out of this intro? Like I'm just like stuck in this intro and I just want to get out of it. So yeah, once I had the realization that it's not going to be good the first time around, it's easy to just put together a shit intro and then get into it. I guess the other thing for flow, is there anything else if we're not talking about writing? 
music helps me a lot. Music. The right playlist. Deep House Relax. Deep House Relax. Always Deep House Relax. Such a good playlist. It's a great playlist. I like when they change it up too. Yeah. Although for the first day, the first day when they change it up, it doesn't work for me as well because I'm like, ooh, yeah, this new piece is, you know, awesome. I love like I'm listening to it more. Yep. But then after I get used to it again, then it becomes effective. It actually helps knowing all of the music exactly. because then it's not distracting. Right? Yep. You're not thinking about the words and everything. I do like the transitions now. Yeah. Between songs. So it's only on mobile for some reason. Huh. But the transitions are great. They're so good. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like smoothly goes to the next song, yep. especially if you're on shuffle. It seems to pick exactly. songs that transition into each other nicely. And then it doesn't take you out of that flow state. Right. Yeah. It's so good um yeah i think those are probably my big three ones i guess the only other thing that i can say with that is uh i don't do that well when it's like very quiet i can't never get into flow and quiet like i kind of need the music or if not music in some kind of coffee shop or something where there's background noise i just i just do not do well when it's like deathly quiet well it's like uh so anti-fragile right the little the static noise yeah. boosts the signal, right? Yeah. So you need a little bit of distraction to increase focus. Yeah, it's weird how that works, but yeah. Anything for you that's not covered there? Yeah, things that I would add. the The biggest one to me is just making it super easy to start because I find it's very easy to get in flow once I start on something. I'm I'm very good at not getting distracted, right? I don't have notifications on my phone. I yeah. don't have email stuff on my computer right really the only thing that will distract me is if you know pepper starts chewing something up right so, <laughs> like the toilet paper like the toilet paper yeah. <laughs> so as long as i have an easy way to get started i'm pretty good so certain things help with that being super clear about next steps whether that's in asana right you know listing out subtasks for things i have to work on so i know exactly what i should be working on or in an article having a super clear outline Right. Or even, you know, I've got like a process in Evernote for creating an article and the process includes, you know, how to you know research it within my other notes and how to compile the outline and then how to start expanding the outline. And so I, I can always look at that when I'm not sure what to do on an article. And that gives me no excuse to not make the next step. And then for the actual writing, I mean, what I usually do is I'll create a massive outline that is essentially the article to the point where I can go in and just delete the bullet points. And then I've got the first draft of the article. Yeah. And that I find is really helpful. That's the best way to write for anything. I mean, yeah. I feel like a like article, a book. Chapter, well, but it anything. lets you think non-linearly. Yep. So you can jump around and add points in different places. And then suddenly you've got kind of a rough draft just from doing that. So I find that it really also helps helpful. you get started really easily because yeah. you don't have to worry about the transitions between sentences. You don't have to start on the intro. Yeah. You just really start good. with the points in the middle that you know you want to focus on. And uh, let's see, other things with that, changing context really helps. If I'm having a hard time getting started, going somewhere else and trying to work on it there makes a big difference. Going to a different coffee shop or leaving the apartment, even just, you know, going for a walk and then starting again, something to mix it up helps. And the other thing I'll do is I don't do Pomodoro because I don't like the forced breaks. But what I will do is I will start a timer for 20 minutes and I'll say I have to work on it for 20 minutes. Then I can quit if I want to. And then I never want to, right? As long as I make myself do the 20 minutes, I'll keep going well after that. I just have to get myself through that initial kind of activation energy You're to get it going. You're good at that technique. You do it for waking up too. Yeah, I do that for everything, <laughs> right? It's like, all right, just you know, endure it for 20 minutes and then you can quit. Yeah. Right? And then you pretty much- But you're not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to quit. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, you can do that with yourself with desserts and stuff too, right? It's like, all right, I'll wait 20 minutes and then maybe I'll have dessert. And, you know, if you still really want to have 20 minutes then okay, go for it. But a lot of times, you know, you'll find, okay, you drank some water or whatever and now yeah. the desire is gone. Yep. And also if you eat your dessert right after you finish eating your food, your brain probably hasn't registered that you're full yet. Yeah. So that makes a big difference. Give it time too. to feel full. Give it like 15 minutes. You'll be like, oh, I'm not want to eat anything. I don't want anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a really good trick for me. Yeah, that was a good question. 
But the, the one thing that I think we glossed over that is super important is the notification aspect. Yes. Because getting into it is hard, but staying in it is even harder if you are allowing yourself to be interrupted. Yeah. So I guess this part goes without saying, close your email, turn off your phone notifications. Don't be interruptible. Yeah. Don't work at a company with open office space. Oh God, That's yeah. just... I mean, sometimes people can't help it, but if, if that does happen, there is a way to pitch your boss that to let you get out of the office. You'll get more done. Yeah. yeah. Just say you'll get more done and say, a coffee shop. also suggest it as an experiment. Be like, well, I think this, this will probably work that like, I just want to try. I haven't been getting much done in the office because of all the distractions. Maybe I could spend the afternoons working from a coffee shop. Yeah. And I guess if you don't have calls, that's pretty easy to do. Like you wouldn't, there shouldn't be anything prohibitive about that unless you're working on something like super top secret. I mean, at Growth Machine, we only do four hours of on time. Yeah. So I, I tell everyone to take half the day to be, you know, quote unquote offline and not respond to Slack messages because that just destroys your flow and productivity. Yeah. I mean, it makes 100% sense. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah, we we did gloss over that because, yeah, getting into flow is one thing, but then staying, staying in, in is it. really hard if you have notifications or distractions. It, it takes another 5, 10, 15 minutes to really get back into it yeah. if you get interrupted. That's also, I guess, um, some people maybe have situations where they can't avoid those distractions. Like, let's say you're a parent or something. So, you know, I'm obviously not in that boat, but I've heard Sam Sheridan on a podcast okay. talk about this because he has a, a, well, at least when he came on podcast, his, I think, daughter was like one years old or something. So he said his tactic is to wake up at like 4.30 a.m. on the days he needs to write. Oh, yeah. His tactic is make a full pot of coffee and then just like write for four hours. And he's like, by the time my wife wakes up, I'm like way over caffeinated, pissing her off the second she wakes up because I'm so over hyper, but I got four hours of good writing in nice. with no distractions. So there are ways to get around it too. I think early morning hours are really good time to, you know, to get some deep work done. It's actually kind of what I do with Pepper because yeah. <laughs> she doesn't really wake up until nine or okay. 10, which is weird for a dog. Yeah. Normally they wake up super early, yeah. <laughs> but I'll get up at seven and carry her out of bed with me. And then I'll read or write for the first two hours of the day. And she'll just like pass out on the couch, just does not want to do anything. And she won't start getting like nippy Restless. until yeah, <laughs> nine, nine thirty. And then we go to the dog park. That's but, perfect. Yeah, yeah. You get a couple hours with, you know, couldn't start your day right. Yeah. That. Yeah. Got to do that made you think reading. Yeah, exactly. With we've, the, got, we've got a 1200 <laughs> page book to get through right now. <laughs> I'm so glad we don't have like any other long, deep books going on simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although that one's not like a hard read. It's not a difficult read. It's We're talking about Atlas Shrugged. For, that's a preview. Yeah, exactly. So get ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go to Lesher Bach was long and hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was... And, uh, well, first of all, that's what she said. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and girthy. <laughs> Second, I guess uh, Darwin's dangerous idea was also, it wasn't as long, but. It was difficult. Yeah. yeah. It was only 450 pages. Oh. A hundred of it was, you know, shitting on yeah. other people who disagreed with it. All right. Next question. This one is from Adam K. That name is easier to pronounce. Yeah. Should we just read this whole thing? or Because the question is a little sure, buried yeah. in there. Go ahead. Um, Nat and Neil, hope this finds you well. I've emailed Nat before and love Nat chat and also love made you think. One question I have is in the intersection of business and reading. In my experience, building a business is about doing while reading is about understanding. I enjoy working for the startup that I work for, but I find myself constantly frustrated with how simple things are. Note, I'm not proposing building businesses easy. The skill comes in following what works in the market and actually doing shit. So I supplement this frustration with reading on my own time. Perhaps I need to start my own firm and I can incorporate ideas into my work. The founder of my firm doesn't read much. Do you experience this separation? How do you deal with the suggestion that making money isn't intellectual while understanding the world is? Or is that suggestion false, too influenced by my personal biases? Would love to hear you touch on this subject. Keep up the great work, guys. Best, Adam. 
thanks for the compliment, Adam. Yeah. Glad you like the podcast. It's a nice email. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, the first thing that's kind of surprising to me is that there is definitely, maybe not surprising, but there is, at least in my experience, an extremely strong overlap between people who read a lot and are fairly thoughtful and people who are doing something entrepreneurial. Yeah. And it seems to go both ways because almost all of my friends who read a lot and are into podcasts like this are either doing their own thing or are trying to. Yeah. And I don't really know anyone doing their own thing or trying to who is not also into this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll say there are people who are not, who are much more, uh, I think of almost like Fat Tony from, okay. <laughs> uh, from stuff. Yeah. Right. Like that guy's not reading very much. There are some business owners who are just like, they're really fucking good at what they do. That's a good point. And so I think to answer his question, I don't think it's like a dichotomy like that. Yeah. Like where it's like, oh, you read and are intellectual or you start businesses. I, to your point, I think there's tons of overlap. Yeah. I think it's mostly overlap, actually. And then there are outliers who are not in that. So it sounds like maybe his founder is just not one of is it like one of those outliers. It's a fat Tony. Yeah. Which he might be really good at his business and like, but just not intellectually curious. Or maybe he's only intellectually curious within that small area. Right. I've seen that in like some, not all, but some very tech forward founders, like tech focused founders who would just get there like very intellectually curious, but within that one field. Right. They might now look at something in like biology. Right. It might not be like related to what they're interested in. So, yeah, it's just like it probably depends. But I would agree with you in general that people who are intellectually curious seem to be more entrepreneurial or vice versa, too. But that said, like, I will say one thing that I kind of resonated with me with this question is like the early days of a business are much more intellectual than when you're in the growth stage. Oh, yeah. The growth stage is a lot of, you know, like tweaking and optimizing, whereas the early days is like exploration. Not to say like one is better than the other. It's just one is, I would say the exploration part is much more, much closer to the intellectual curiosity phase. Growing is also interesting. You learn about different kinds of things as well. But I don't think this is probably a vast assumption and I'm probably going to piss, maybe piss some people off. <laughs> but I think there are very rare people who can both operate in like the zero to one phase very well and also do the one to end phase at like a world class level. So yeah. like you're even seeing this. I was going to say Elon Musk is an exception, but you're even seeing this with Elon Musk. He's come up with like revolutionary companies, right? But to take Tesla to the level of uh, efficiency and consistency of like Ford or Toyota, he doesn't seem to have that capability. Well, and to be fair, he didn't come up with Tesla. Right. That's true yeah. too. Right. But I think he is a amazing zero to one person. Right. Right. Like to take something from a concept to a commercially viable company, like he's absolutely crushed that. Right. But there are other people who probably could never do a zero to one thing, but are great at that one to end type of phase. And um, I don't know if that's what he's asking here in this question, but I have noticed that dichotomy a little bit. Yeah. And I think the intellectually curious is more the zero to one phase. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, like some of our entrepreneurial friends who've started things that have done very well. I don't know if they could go run like Kellogg's and yeah. like, turn the Kellogg's into like, you know, a better, a better yeah, Kellogg's, better, right? Like it yeah. just wouldn't be interesting to them almost. It would just be like less fun. And I was going to say too, <laughs> that's probably also why we see so many of our entrepreneurial friends and ourselves have this almost impulsive need to <laughs> continually start new businesses, yeah. right? Where it's like, yep. you just, it, it's impossible to be satisfied with the one thing that you're working on. Yep. You need other things too, right? Like that's at least half the reason we have this podcast oh, is that <laughs> it, it tames our need to, you know, constantly start side projects, yeah. right? I think just the reading is probably why we also pick a lot of these crazy books. 
is like now we don't have time to do anything yeah else. It's it, like, literally it's like a discipline if i didn't have to read you know like homo deus in a week <laughs> i would definitely be like starting more blogs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just all this other stuff and you know i think there's a period in time where i would have been like oh no like i shouldn't be you know tied down to one project but now i'm very like glad that we're fairly stable yeah and the things we're working on but i mean to, to the other part of adam's question here it does seem like if you're very interested in the whole world of reading and understanding that you should try to find a way to incorporate that into the work yeah. that you're doing in your life, right? It doesn't have to be your primary job, right? So, I mean, like Taylor Pearson's a great example of this, right? Like that is his whole life, right? right? Where he reads and writes, yep. right? And he's got a great business built around that. And that's like his and thing. A good book. And yeah, yeah. Like written a good book. That's a perfect example of a way you can, you know, kind of go to 100% on that. And then for us, it's like, this is, you know, 10% of our work life. Right. Where, I, I mean, I personally don't think I can do 100% reading and writing all the time. Yeah, I don't think so either. I tried it for like three, six months. But I think it's supplements. At least for me, I think and you're probably similar just from what I've heard you say. It's like, they sort of are almost a system with each other. It's like your work life somewhat influences what you read. And like, yeah. when we were both reading like work clean, uh, the goal principles like mm. when we were in that phase it was both of us were just getting going with our businesses yeah full time right that was the fall that's true and yeah. they were super relevant to our lives at that time so in some weird way maybe we didn't explicitly ever say this but they were super relevant to what we were doing at the time right so they do play well with each other this idea of reading and you don't have to think about it so explicitly i guess of well, I'm starting a business, so I should read business books. It doesn't have to be like that. Well, more what I'm saying is that there might be other projects you can do that, you know, involve this thoughtfulness yeah, definitely. without your work life necessarily having to be thoughtful. Because like my work life has become much less, you know, quote unquote thoughtful. Like we have a very good system and we're mostly right. executing on it and, you know, improving it, tweaking it now. And you don't want to fuck it up just to yeah, create some, some, like, just for fun some interesting <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> but we have this, right? Yeah. Where, you know, we're coming on here and talking about it and I have my blog and I have my book notes and all of that right so there's ways i think you can get it outside of your main job too in order to satisfy yeah that curiosity yeah definitely and i think it's good too right because you'll i mean you learned a ton from doing this you right? also just like i would strongly recommend to adam just like if you have any sort of not hobbies but like interests that just you can't stop thinking about in some ways just mm -hmm. like chase down those rabbit holes yeah just like go down the rabbit hole like if there's a topic that you're just like oh that, that seems interesting just read every book you can find on that topic and doesn't have to necessarily go anywhere but it probably will if you like open yourself up to that possibility right start exploring start exploring happens. it yeah. yeah yeah i've seen like and this is probably the last thing from at least from my standpoint on this question but i have friends who have expressed similar sentiments to what adam's talking about here and i think one thing that i've heard that gets in like is like a roadblock for a lot of people is like without seeing the end goal of something it's hard for them to like get motivated to just start going um, down that path yeah yeah. Whereas like, I don't know, I would, I would say like, it is important to think about the end goal. Like I hesitate to say, don't think about the end because Robert Greene told us that it's the opposite in yeah. laws of power. <laughs> so I'd always think about the end game, but I don't know. I find a lot of people like don't start because they're worried about the end game. So like my, like the concrete example I'm thinking of, let's say to your point, like it doesn't have to be your work life. Right. So if somebody, let's say was going to start like Let's say they have a hobby about cooking, mm -hmm. right? And they're just really into cooking. They read all these cookbooks. They read books by chefs. And they're like, I'm going to spend more time on this. It's a really interesting thing. But then their mind might go to like, well, what am I going to do with this? I'm not going to become a chef. I'm not going to become like this. I should have I should have gone to culinary school to make this. You know, like, then there's like, I won't do it. Like, there's no point. But like, you should just chase down that and start a blog around it start, or start like an Instagram account or just like start something and just like see where it goes. You never know. 
It doesn't cost you anything. It costs you like nothing to start a website. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the illusion of, you know, foresight. Yeah. Right. Where if you look so at true. It, something like a law career, right, might feel super nice and planned out. And okay, well, I know what I'll be doing for the next 20 years. And I can see an end of mind if I pursue this cooking thing, like, well, I don't know where I'll be in 20 years and I might not be making as much as right. a lawyer. Right. But the law path is mostly like, you know, that's what might happen. But again, you, I mean, you never know what else is going to happen on that way. Right. Just because this other path seems less clear doesn't mean that it's worse or riskier. Right. It's just perception. And actually, I mean, it's good because in some sense, you've got more optionality. You're not stuck on like a single track for what you do. You're you're less fragile. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out. Mm. Episode one, most popular all time. Yeah, by far, right? Yeah, by a wide margin. Yeah. So if someone wants to get in the same celeb on this show and you know him. Yeah, that that would be wonderful. Hit us up. (laughs) Um, Tell him he's got two of the... Wait, Skin of the Game is not in the top five, right? Yet. No, it's getting there. Okay. Well... At least tell him he's got the number one most popular. Number one. Think episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You, you read this one. one. is from, I'm going to take a guess here and say Hari. I think it's Hari. I think yeah. it's Hari. Hari S. Thank you for doing this. Been a listener from day one. Love the show. My question, what advice would you have for a college student graduating in 2018? Specifically, how would you determine what problems to work on? How do you apply the insights from books you read, especially paradigm shifting books? How do you network online and things like that? Good question. It's a good question. You want to tackle the college student one first since you've definitely <laughs> thought about this one a lot? That was my whole podcast before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, the first piece of advice would be to think about this before you're graduating. Ah, yes. Right. So, but and obviously that's not going to be super helpful if you are graduating. But I think that, I mean, the, so here's the biggest thing that I see happen a lot is getting a internship as getting an internship as a junior that, you know, could turn into a full time going and doing the internship, getting the return offer, and then just chilling your whole senior year, right? Like, definitely don't want to do that. I mean, I think the biggest piece of advice I'd have for somebody graduating college in 2018 would be to, you know, start trying to figure out and decide now what you are actually, what you think you might be interested in, and in actually figuring out how you can pursue that. Because what I see most in some of my younger peers who, you know, have been graduating the last couple of years is this desire to punt the decision to later, right? And there's a, a few ways to do that. You go to grad school, right? That's like punting the decision for a couple of years. You go work at a consulting firm or iBank, uh, or even honestly going to work at like Facebook and Google a lot of the yeah. times, right? It's just, you're taking on the big company role because it's there. Right. And especially if you go to an Ivy League or a good college, you feel like you deserve a high prestige, high paying job. And so that's what you want to take. And you're used to credentialing, so you want the name. Exactly, you're used right. to credentialing. You're really good at jumping through hoops and getting gold stars. And so that's what you want to keep doing. And I think that that impulse ends up making you very unhappy because, I mean, I think you've seen this too. Most of my friends who you know, fixated solely on getting the like prestigious consulting job after graduation ended up pretty unhappy with yeah. it. Right. Yep. Like I only know one person who ended up liking his role there. I don't know any. <laughs> I don't know any. I know I know one who's in finance who likes it a yeah. lot. Yeah, but consulting, I don't know a single. And I was gonna say he's an exception because he works on a team of like five people at PwC yeah, who basically have unlimited that. budget to explore anything they want in the big data space. That's very different. Which is awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. But most people are not going to have that experience, right. right? And I think that the biggest thing is, you know, just not being 
I think, intimidated to go after the stuff that you're interested in and in realizing just how low risk your life is. Because even if you have student loans and you're not coming from a super affluent family, like you still live in the U.S. and you're even if you don't live in the U.S., if you're listening to this podcast, Right. Yeah. Then you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you're in the top 1% of the world. Right. Yeah. Like pretty much no question about that. Even if you're poor in the U.S., you're still basically in the top 1% of the world. And you clearly have access to the Internet. You clearly have access to the Internet. You're clearly like a thoughtful person. Yeah. If you're this far into the episode. If you're this far into the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know, you kind of especially if you're just graduating, like you've got no kids, you've got yeah. no other debt, house, mortgage, whatever. Right. You can go to Thailand and live on five hundred dollars a month and just, you know, read and explore and try to figure out stuff that you want to start experimenting with. Like you have that freedom. Yeah. You don't need to. Again, going back to the point from the last question, needing this like clear path into the future. Exactly. Right. It, it's not necessary. But that's hard for young people because it's like we're so used to that's all you've had yeah, for the last yeah. 16 years you knew it was okay well after first grade you go to second grade after 10th grade you go to 11th grade right. and then you go to college but then it's like after that you're just thrown into the chaos basically right and well and that's why these companies no structure their exactly. employment stuff around the college process yep. right you you know you go to the career fair like the college fair you submit your resume and you do your little elevator like pitch, your application like, yeah your, your application and then you get there in your first year at you know, PwC. And then after a year, you get your promotion and your raise. And now you're like the next level up, right? It's yep. like, you know, going up a grade, right? Yep. It's the exact same it's process. The exact same process. And there's because it feels familiar. It. Yep. Yeah. And so that's how you kind of get like scared into going down those routes, right? Driving in the fog is more intimidating, right. but you, you know, you end up more interesting places. Yeah. But I mean, to the other parts of the question, how would you determine what problems to be working on? I think it's just whatever you'll be interested enough in to work on. I would actually say punt on even figuring out what, unless you have a problem you're super passionate about. Yeah. I would say just focus on skills over problems at this point. Cause yeah, that's a good point. At 22, you barely, you don't really know what problems are out there. Yeah. Well, at 22, it's like hard to know what, like, unless you've had extensive work experience, it's really hard to be like, I'm going to go solve like AI. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a broad <laughs> thing to begin with. Right. It's like, I feel like once you've at least done a few things, you would have a much better idea of what problems you actually are interested in slash also have the skills to go solve. But I think you also have to have an idea of the problems that are interesting to you in order to know what skills to pursue. But it's hard to know because if you have an experience, like let's say if all your experience has been in like a classroom mm-hmm. effectively, right? Like you're not exposed to that much in college. That's a good point. You kind of like, have to you know? just go do something. Yeah, that's literally I mean. anything. Like, yeah. And then you'll start to whittle it down. And all the people you know are also on a college campus. And then right. like, you know what I mean? It's like once you get out, then you like, of course, the internet makes it easier to find things when you're still in college, but you your immediate surroundings are not that. Your immediate surroundings are still college students. Unless you can you can seek it out. So I'm not saying if you're a college student right now, you can't find like interesting things online. You can for sure find those. And there are college students who are exceptions to this, but most people who are 22, just like, I certainly had no idea what problems I wanted to solve. I thought I knew yeah. different problems, but like <laughs> really didn't know. <laughs> Well, but actually, I mean, that's a good caveat, too, which is that you should maybe think of something. Yeah. But don't wedge yourself to it. Exactly. Don't. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. Like have something you want to go after, but don't think that that has to be the thing and that you're going to fixate on it for the rest of your life. Right. Right. That's a recipe for unhappiness. But I think think picking skills is not a bad idea. Like picking like, hey, I want to be with it. You know, uh, there's a this is a skill I'm interested in learning more about. And the role I pick is going to be a skill that I know. No matter what else I get out of this role, I know I'm going to be good at this skill at the end of it. With the same caveat. Yeah, with the same caveat. Which is that you You should be willing to just ditch it after three months if it's not a good fit. Yep, exactly. But I think that's almost um, not a better way, but it's another lens through which to view what to go do after college. Is like, so problem is one, but then skills are another. 
And then interest is, of course, a big one, too. Yeah. Okay, what about the second one? Yeah, applying the insights from books you read. Start a podcast and talk about them with your friend every week. I mean, that's the biggest thing to me. Although I think the even bigger thing is taking the detailed notes, right? So, I mean, when I read a book, I'm highlighting in Kindle as I'm going. And then I extract those notes from Kindle and put them in Evernote note. And then I go through and I bold the parts of the highlights that I think are most important. And then I go back and I highlight the parts of the bolded text that I think are most, most important, right? So I've got three levels. Yeah. And you can read about this. If you Google Tiago Forte progressive summarization, he's the guy who came up with this method. And for me, that is just super helpful because then I'm rereading the book, you know, quote unquote, the book like three or four times. Right. There's the first time I read it. There's when I go through my notes to bold stuff. And then there's when I go through my bolds to highlight stuff. Yep. So at that point, I've read three times. And then we talk about it here, which is like a fourth, fourth time. time. Yep. And then after that, I've got most of the core concepts that I need to remember like in my head. And if I ever want to refresh them, it takes me literally 20, 30 seconds to go through my notes for a book because of the highlighting and bolding structure. Yeah. And that makes it really easy. And then writing and incorporating stuff from books. That's huge, too, because what I find is I'll start writing and then, you know, you get that weird kind of like flash from nowhere. It's like, oh, this is related to this book. Yeah. And then, you know, I'll go like search through Evernote and be like, oh, yeah, this concept from this book. Exactly. And then by writing about it and talking about it, that solidifies it more. Exactly. So it's kind of like a steady process. I think the one thing not to do is to read a bunch of implementation focused nonfiction books and then completely overhaul your process every time you read a new one right your question with each book should be how do i incorporate this to my existing structure it's like a scaffolding yeah what do i what do i tweak yeah exactly yeah or how can you exactly like a new building block or a new way of thinking or another like if it's a new sort of paradigm shifting book i find having like many of those ways of thinking are really useful because you can look at the same problem from like a bunch of different different angles yeah those are big ones. I think your last point was really good. Just like, don't try to do everything because or like, don't try to like change your whole structure just because you read this one book. In some books, you'll only get, you know, one thing, but yeah. that one thing will be enough. Yeah. Right. Like selfish gene. If you just get the selfish gene concept, you'll find yourself bringing that Seeing up it. in a lot of cases. Or anti-fragile. Yeah. Or anti-fragile like all everything. the time. Skin in the game. <laughs> yep. Darwin's dangerous idea. Just the concept of, you know, evolution as a foundational concept yeah. that destroys any concept of you know, the soul and the mind really like that's big, strange loops, strange loops. That's another great one. I mean, a lot of these books, one, yeah. Flood geologists is a good one. Uh, and the chef idea, right? Yeah. A lot of the stuff we talk about, I mean, infinite games, right. You know, horizontal thinking it's, you know, you can almost encapsulate it in one line, but you have to read the whole book to get the one line. And that's kind of how you can distinguish between a good nonfiction and a bad nonfiction is a bad nonfiction can be condensed to one or two pages and you can get it. Yeah. A bad nonfiction or a great nonfiction can be condensed to one or two pages, but you won't get it unless you have read Read the whole whole context. Exactly. And then there's, you know, 12 rules for life, which can't really be <laughs> two pages. You I mean, can just could. listen to the podcast. You could just put the rules down. Yeah. And I think like if, if, if I went back and I, if you've read though, the book, the rules make fine. sense. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so it can. It can. I guess it can. Yeah. 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 I guess the only thing is just like not every book, you don't, you don't need to go into every book being like, oh, it needs to have this insight. Because yeah. like some books, like think about like Atlas Shrugged, for example, right? Like it's a pleasure to read it. It is. And uh, it's worth your time. I think it's worth your time. But, you know, you're not going into it thinking it's like going to change. I mean. You could build your worldview around Atlas Shrugged. Probably not advised. Um, you could, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but you could read it just for pleasure. And it's you'll have it'll influence your thinking, but it's not necessarily like a how-to book. Right. Um, I was thinking like East of Eden also is like one of those same oh, yeah. kind of books. So good. Like beautiful. Beautiful right. book. Like 
it does affect you, but in almost an unspeakable way. Like it's like going to the MoMA. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like, wow, this is really beautiful. I'm not going to, you know, take away a life lesson from it. Right. But I'm enjoying it while I'm experiencing exactly. it. Exactly. So yeah, there's, there's definitely that too. So it's, I guess if, if I'm talking to a college student or someone about to graduate, like that's one thing I would definitely advise. Cause I, I fell into that trap in high school or not in high school, mm-hmm. college, which is part of the reason why I wasn't reading very much. Cause I just wasn't enjoying it. And I was like, every book is kind of not that interesting. And then I was like, then I read uh, one of the books that got me back into reading was Fight Club. Nice. Fight Club is like, <laughs> that totally changes. Your... But again, there's like not like a, like a life lesson. I mean, there is a life lesson, but there's not like, hey, you should go do this. Right. Besides join a Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> or start your own. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's probably it for the books question. Yeah. And then network online. I would just say Twitter, Twitter again, right? I would say Twitter you know, and cold email. Yeah, Twitter you're and cold email. You're not as big of a cold email. No, I, I so I've gotten I've gotten a couple of really good cold emails in the last few Dude, weeks. Cold emails are so good when it's a good one. You're like you you almost feel proud of the person for writing yeah. the email to you. Yeah, I'm like wow, this is really good. Yeah. I, I got on two phone calls with people in the last two weeks who just cold emailed me from my blog. Yeah, right, and it works. Yep, right. Just you know, tell somebody that you like their work, that you appreciate it, especially something you learned from it or something you did because of it. That goes a really long way. And then stay in touch with them very lightweight on like Twitter. Don't be annoying. Yeah, don't be annoying. Just uh, occasionally respond line. to stuff. It's a very fine line. Yeah, but it but cold emails and Twitter also like they both work really well. And so and being a high school student or a high school student, college student, or I mean, or a high school student high actually, school student, yeah. Is not a handicap online. That's like one of the best things about the internet. People get excited about that. Yeah. Taylor actually introduced me to this. I guess I think she's graduating from high school now, but this high school student started a pretty cool company and she had emailed him for some advice for something cold email, I think. And he didn't have that like relevant of information for her, but he thought it was really relevant to my past experience. So not only is she now in touch with him, because I think they got on a phone call. Then she and I got on a phone call and then I introduced her to Chaz because it was super relevant to something he's working on. So like through a cold email, she now knows like three people who like gave her a call. Like they they, like spent time on a call with her and like now we're part of her network. Did you respond to that guy I introduced you to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm talking to him in a couple weeks, I think. Nice. um, Because the timings were like hard to work out with like our travel and because we're traveling next week. Well, by the time they hear this. By the time they hear this, we'll have already traveled. Yeah. but. But um carnival yeah <laughs> we're recording an episode there it's true we're gonna record a special pittsburgh episode yeah <laughs> should be fun but yeah so anyway cold emails like that works really well and it doesn't matter if you're in college high school whatever like no one can tell when you send them the cold email exactly <laughs> they only and find it, out like, again it helps yeah if you're it actually young, helps if you're young and curious it helps because pretty much everybody who you are emailing was helped at one point exactly. when they were in college my or opt-in just out. email to Chaz to get his opt-in for the intro yeah i was like this girl's starting to hustle early. She's in high school. And then I just forwarded the cold, like the little intro of what she's working on yeah. to him. And then he responded. He's like, I like it when people start hustling young, make the intro. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you're right. Like people have, we've all been helped at an early age. And so actually you're, if you do it tactfully and you're respectful and not annoying, like you're actually giving people a pleasure to help you. Like you're, you're actually giving them you a make good them feeling. feel good. Yeah, exactly. Well, and because they're, I mean, you know, the partially selfish bit on their end too is they might want to kind of, you know, invest in your future success. Like there's possibility down the line where it's like, you know, right now they are just helping you, right? Because they're giving you mentorship and whatever, but they know that if you keep on this trajectory, there will be a time when you can like work together, right? right? Exactly. And so it's worth it for them to kind of like help you get there as well. Definitely. Yeah. And we've all had mentors and um, yeah, none of us would be anything without our mentors. Exactly. Um, All right. I think. I think that's it. That was yeah. a good question. That was a good question. Those are good questions, I guess. All right. Next one is from Max P. 
He wanted to know about the future of work, deep work versus shallow work, rise of solopreneurship, problem with attention deficit, etc. What's shallow work? Just not not focused work? Wait, have you read deep work? No. Oh, okay. So <laughs> probably should have. I, I read his other one. To be honest, um, you don't, too good. They yeah, so, so good, good they, they can't, can't ignore you. you. I read that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you can pretty much get the concept of deep work. I think I asked you about it. Yeah. At one point, and that's what you told me. So then I was just like, just, okay. just go read my book notes on the <laughs> book, and you'll get the whole book. Okay. No offense to Cal, it's just it's, it's a little fluffy. So basically, deep work is you know immersive, focused. You're in flow. You're undistracted. You're working on your most important task. You know, boom. Uh, shallow work is you're distracted, you're jumping around, multitasking, you're doing less important work, right? So shallow work is burning through email while responding to text messages. Deep work is you're closed off in your cafe with your noise canceling headphones on writing for three hours, right? So I, I mean, I think the one question or part of this question that's good is like this trade off between improved communication and increased interruptibility mm. right yeah where i mean especially like startups with all these open office plans and whatnot like you can't get anything done no. i mean every slack, time being on slack all the oh time. yeah being on slack getting interrupted you've got computer notifications people are expecting immediate responses because you know email and all of that and i mean that's not healthy right right, right. It's not, i mean that's yeah. just it doesn't work at all and i i'm hoping that we're going to see a movement away from that again i actually so my theory on the whole open office space thing is that it just be it's a consequence of sf real estate being so expensive right so all these tech startups went to get started in sf and, and you know mountain view and all of that and it was so expensive to rent office that they couldn't give each member an office so they had to like create these you know, even less divided than cubicle office spaces because it was the best way to pack a ton of people into an area. They turned a, a bug into a feature. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They created this like bullshit story about, oh, it's more collaborative, right? And it's like, no, anybody who's worked in one knows that it sucks for getting anything done because you can see other people in your periphery, which, you know, we've got this like ancient lizard brain tuning to kind of monitor other people in our environment. And then on top of that, you will naturally be self-conscious if your computer is in the view of other people. Yeah. Because even if you're being productive, you'll still feel like oh somebody might be watching me yeah right which also i think it's also a great incentive to give the appearance of busyness yeah over the actual like getting real work done oh yeah especially in, i've definitely seen that in open offices because everyone can see you working or not working like it might be better for your productivity to take a 15 minute break and read a blog post or read a book but if you did that in an open office it's like oh look at that slacker over mm -hmm. there right or you feel that people would perceive you that way even if they wouldn't right yeah so there's like this danger of, well not danger but incentive to appear busy which means you might not actually be doing the most productive work you just are giving the appearance of doing work so one thing that i do think we will see more of and move more in the direction of is remote working oh 100% right? and i think that the criticisms of it are legitimate but for and I, I will say that I don't think it works for low cost labor. So if you're doing anything that is kind of bottom of market, then I mean, unfortunately, it does kind of require monitoring and possibly co-location, right? Because like, I don't have a nicer way to say this, but typically people who are charging bottom of market are just less reliable and it's like harder to do all of that efficiently. But people who are charging a premium price you know, a lot of why they're able to do that is reputation and quality of work delivered. Right. And they don't need to be handheld and monitored. Right. right? And so I think two things are going to happen. Businesses are going to move more in the direction of kind of being a few super highly qualified people at the top doing the most important cognitive work and then more people at the bottom doing any of the 
you know, remaining necessary grunt work and the core people will be the employees and everybody outside the core people will be kind of like freelancers and contractors. Yeah. I think that we're already seeing that happening. I mean, yeah, I hundred percent, you see that honestly, I mean, that's yeah. the way our business runs where we've got four employees, but we've got at least 20, 30 contractors, right? So, you know, it's a big company to think of it that way. Small if you think of it in terms of employees. Right. And a lot of my friends I think you're seeing that more and more though. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. becoming more and more common, yeah. right? Because there's no reason for me to hire a promotion person when I can, or well, okay, so we have a promotion person, but there's no reason for him to hire a Facebook person and a Twitter person and a Pinterest person right. when you can contract that out to somebody really good in, you know, Hungary for $10 an hour, right. who's as good as, you know, most people in the US for these like less challenging tasks, yeah. right? And so I think we're gonna see more and more of that. We're gonna see more remote work. Yeah. And honestly, I think that the results only work environment is gonna get more popular too. Yeah, I totally agree. Because like that. smart, motivated people are not gonna be okay with the whole, you have to be here for eight hours a day anymore, right. right? It's like, if you don't have to do it, there's no reason. Or they're also not gonna be okay with, like if they know that their eight hours is way more productive than the next person's eight hours, they're not gonna be okay getting paid the same for those eight hours. Yeah. So they're gonna say like, the people who are, who know that they're competent are going to be much more okay getting paid on performance, but they're going to require a higher fee for that performance. But that's okay for the company because if they're like, sure, if you're getting that higher performance, then we're happy to pay you more. Yeah. So I think we will see that because it's a win-win on both sides. It's a win-win if you are productive. It's not a win-win if you're not productive. Exactly. If you're not productive, it's a win for the company and a loss for you. Well, and that's actually where it gets good because, you know, if you want to, I mean, so we make fun of like consulting firms all the time, right? If you want to be a first year at one of these firms and do like nothing, it's almost impossible for them to catch you, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's really easy to be in a really big company oh, yeah. and not do anything and like get away with it for months or years or, years, or your entire right? career, yeah, I mean, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's hard to really monitor that, especially if they're just monitoring like time that you're online. Whereas if you go to work at a four person boutique consulting company, if you're not doing anything, like you're going to get fired in a week. Can you imagine if right? one of your four people, like three other people, like, is it three other people? Yeah, it's four? three other people. Yeah. So can you imagine if one of those people was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to do anything this week. Yeah. You would notice so quickly. I would quickly, notice on like day one. <laughs> yeah. right? There'd be all these Asana tasks piling up. Yep. I'd be like, uh, hello. Exactly. Right? Yep. But the cool thing is high performing people, though, just like do not let that happen. Exactly. Oh, they don't want it. They don't, they don't want, want, it. want that. Yeah. Well, and I think and the flip side of it, too, is that I also tell my team, like, if you're done for the day, like go outside. Right. Like don't manufacture work. Yeah. If you're done at noon, like awesome like go have fun or right. like play with your kids right i don't care right yeah. it's the and that's the the trade-off right people love that though because it yeah. makes them feel like they're not being babysat i don't know i hated that feeling oh, it yeah. worked for anybody if like yeah if they make i never worked at a company like this but i never got how people were okay with like companies blocking like youtube and facebook oh and yeah not that like it's a good idea to go on those while you're trying to do deep work i get that part of it but if your company doesn't trust you to not go to youtube right <laughs> during work hours like how the hell are they trusting you with any real task like or talking to a customer or like they can't even trust you not to go to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> or the monitoring your internet and computer activity or I mean, there's even not letting people go to Gmail or things like that. I've seen that before. Yeah. Limiting time. You can like go outside and take breaks. It's like right? school or jail. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, going back to discipline and yep. punish, right? It's a way to establish authority and yeah. like maintain power in the structure, right? Yeah. And I think that actually, I mean, okay, so now this is actually a relevant analogy where before power was actually a function of the organizations and their organizational structure, right? It was like the buildings and the employment relationship. And now I think a lot of power is actually coming from ability and what you can actually do and prove because it's so much easier to show usefulness now. 
And that's kind of a cool transition because then somebody with almost no experience and who even doesn't, you know, have much like presence or history can have a lot of power simply through their abilities, right? right? Like Vitalik Buterin is a perfect example of this. He started Ethereum when he was 19. Like nobody knows who this kid is, right? but you know, it's the biggest startup of the last 10 years, right? And he didn't need anything prior to that. Like power now comes from like your abilities, abilities, right? Not, not even really your money. I mean, that's a great, uh, that came up in another book about how like wealth disparity as long as that wealth disparity is fluid. Yeah, skin like, in the game. Skin in the game, right, yeah. Because in Italy, it's completely unfluid, exactly. right? It doesn't yeah. change. Right. In the US, it can gyrate rapidly, and it does. And that's one of the things that has probably made, like makes it one of the most innovative countries is probably that ability where, I mean, Bezos was, I don't know what his background was, but I'd imagine his family was not a top 10 richest family in the world. No, I don't know. Family definitely was not rich. I mean, he was a, he was on wall street for 10 years, but I don't think he made crazy money. Or even if he did, I'm saying before, like his family didn't like, it's right. not like, well, what was that family in Florence? Or he was saying all the families. He has like 10 families in Florence who had all the wealth for 500 years. Like think That's about it. Crazy. Gates, Bezos, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, Buffett, Buffett. Like none of these guys were like, they didn't inherit their money. And I mean, I think that's it's kind of a really encouraging thing for, you know, all of us. I mean, yeah. well, all of us who are not already billionaires who are listening to this episode. <laughs> if you're a billionaire listening to this episode, just know there's a chance your kids might not be as rich as you. Yeah. If you live in America. And buy some T-bonds. Maybe go to Florence. <laughs> still be rich. Exactly. Then you'd still rich. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this one point I wanted to bring up with the future of work question is I think we're going to see a lot of companies, maybe not a lot, but a lot more than we have right now that are single person companies that like make well over a million dollars a year. Cause like, a good point. the internet's amazing with that, right? Like, okay, the, your business, my business, maybe not, but I could definitely see like many types of businesses where it's one person who runs it and has like a bunch of contractors and then they're, they can pull in over a million dollars a year off of that. It also depends on what you mean by one person business, right? Well, one person as long, as if you one, can have contractors, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's exactly what then I mean. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, it used to be for if you want labor, you pretty much needed them to be employees. Right. And then also they needed to be in the US. Or is that's not true anymore? They can be anywhere and they can be contractors. Right. right? I mean, hell, you could even just pay them in Bitcoin. And yeah. then there's like no, I mean, it doesn't really help you because then you can't write off the payments to them. But if, if companies did start moving entirely into crypto, that payments, economy, then there'd yeah. be like no taxation at all. Right. And it's like you can get into some pretty crazy stuff then. Yeah. So, well, I think, and that's what, this at least that's how I took the solopreneurship right thing coming from here, which is that um, also because of personal branding. Even if you never want to go work for a company, you could have a really nice career. Yeah. Even if you want a safer career, that is like maybe work with big companies or maybe well, I mean, you work with tons of brands, mm-hmm. and it's like you could go work in SEO at a company, or you could do it this way, which is through starting your own agency. Right. So you've taken a skill which at one point in time the only path would have been to be hired by someone. Maybe not. Well, SEO is a weird case because it's basically exists because of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> but, let's say let's say marketer. Yeah, let's say marketing. Yeah, exactly. So like You'd marketing, have to like go work at a company and exactly. work your way up over time. And, yep. You know, maybe you could go work at an agency eventually, but yep. it would take a while, right? Yeah, whereas you are kind of doing that now. And because you've built the skill to where you are very clearly competent and are able to show results, like more people want to hire you. Well, having the proof of concept with my own site obviously right. helps a lot. Exactly. And I mean, that is actually a one-person business. It's not so a million dollars a year. That's actually worth talking about real quick. Because mm-hmm. You've been a really interesting example of that. And I feel like there's you and only like a handful of other people that I've seen do this where you basically used your site as like the way to prove that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's no barriers to entry on that. That's a good point. So you should definitely talk about that. Yeah. Well, I I mean, 
So, <laughs> I mean, most, uh, I don't talk about this like part of my site anymore, but I mean, my site's one of the like more popular, I would say sites or parts of it at least are one of the more popular sites on the internet for like advice on sex for men. Yep. So it gets usually about seven to seven, 8,000 views a day, specifically on the sex articles, you know, just really primarily to three of them, uh, like orgasming without ejaculating, lasting longer in bed and kegel exercises for men. And when those three articles started getting ranked on Google, I hired a guy to make a mobile app that specifically helped men with, you know, those three, you know, goals slash issues. How did you know there was a gap there? Because I, I just went on the app store. You just couldn't see and it. And I was like, oh, there's there's lots of Kegel apps. What about for the articles? Like what made you write the article oh. in the first place? See, now we're getting into like a Nat chat interview. We should yeah. save this for we should probably <laughs> save, save this for well, the, the, So we'll, we'll save that for another interview. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I didn't know there was an SEO potential. I wrote it before I got into SEO. And then it started ranking and then I like improved it over time and got it higher. Love higher. all these accident things. Yeah. <laughs> so many great examples of people just finding their stuff by accident. Oh, it's yeah. great. That's why you got to do stuff. That's why you got to do stuff. Just, it's like buying know. a lottery ticket. Every time you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket. Well, because it, it started for me with the fasting article oh, because yeah. I wrote the fasting article and then suddenly it was on the front page of Google for five day water fast. And I was getting, you know, 250 visitors a day, which is a lot of the time. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. How do I do more of this? Yeah. And then it started happening with the sex articles. And then it was like, all right, well, how would I make money from this? And so I got the app made and then the articles send people to buy the app. And at like on most days, if you go into the app store for health apps for paid, it's top 100, like paid health app. But I don't, you don't spend like any time. I spend no money yeah. on it, no time on it. It has been updated in two years. <laughs> it's just these three articles, maybe four, sending traffic to the app for people to buy it and download it. It costs $3. And that has earned like enough revenue to sustain my life, like for the last That's awesome. year, almost two years now which is just like bonkers, yeah. right? And But that gave sort of the proof of concept that you can have like a one-person business built on SEO. And now from doing Growth Machine, I've met some other people who just like blow me out of the water with some of the stuff they've been able to do with, you know, creating blogs in the right niche that's, you know, sending traffic oh, to yeah, the right like places. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's making me explore it even more and building out our own properties, right? right? But to, I mean, to your point, building your own site and then using that as a proof of concept for your business is like an amazing model. Yeah. Right? And I think designers are the best example of this yeah. because that's one of the first things I'll look at for a designer is, okay, well, how nice is their website? Right. Right. If you're going to tell me you're going to design my website, I want to see and if your site's a nice ass designed then, yeah. website. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a perfect example. But for writers too, yeah. I mean, that was why I started my site was so that I could get hired for content marketing roles. Mm-hmm. And I wanted proof that I had published stuff online because I get applicants now for our freelance writers and they're like, oh, well, I've never published online, but I love writing. And I'd love the opportunity. It's like, boom, instant rejection, yeah. right? Because if you've never done it, then... Well, and there's no one stopping you from doing your own site. Yeah, at least put a Medium article. There's no application you have to file to make this happen. It's the internet. Like, just put it online. Yeah, but I think to the question of the solopreneurship, you're right. It's going to become way easier for people to do that. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, if I just had my site, I'd have the app, which is, you know, a good amount of revenue. I'd have all the affiliate stuff, which is another good amount of revenue. I've got the book notes now, which is its own source of revenue. Yeah. And then just like other little deals and promotions I can do the email list and stuff. And like, that's a great business on its own. Or even this is like kind of a solopreneurship. I mean, it's two people, but (laughs) not a solo, I guess to do duopreneurship, you know, us plus Andres and the three of us. Trio-preneurship. Right. Like if this were getting a million downloads per episode, instead of, you know, it is, we had, quarters to, we had of a million. All, we had all these questions that we couldn't get to. <laughs> yeah, we had to pick the top one. Um, no, but it, you know, if we were getting a million downloads per episode, I don't know what would change. 
Yeah, I mean, our day to day. Well, I don't think we'd have like a bigger team or no, anything. I think we, yeah. we'd maybe record in a recording studio. That's the and only. well, that might not even be as much fun. It's true. It's kind of fun, like hanging out in the living room yeah, and doing it, cool. right? Yeah, having Pepper hanging out. And- so I don't know if we'd do anything different, but that would be like a multi million dollar year business. Yeah, right. So yeah, that's a good point. You can build pretty massive stuff now with the internet. Your apartment would probably be a lot bigger. The apartment probably be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this, I mean, this relates to the other part of future of work, which is that it will be possible for fewer people to do more, which means more people will be useless, yeah. right? And I think that is the big thing we touched on in the last episode with Homo Deus, which is, I think it's almost a necessary consequence of the future that there will be a massive useless class yeah. that just doesn't have a way to meaningfully contribute to the economy. Yeah, And I don't know what is going to happen with those people. Right. Or and what a good solution is. What a good solution even. is, yeah. right? Because we've talked about the problems with UBI. Sovereign individual a bunch. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard question. And I mean, I hope that the whole like, well, you know, when we switch from horse carriages to cars, it's not like the stable hands, you know, we're suddenly like living on the streets. They found other jobs. I hope those arguments are true. I don't think they're true. I don't think they're true either. I hope they are, though. Well, they're, they're naive because they look at a transition of a single technology as applying to the transition of all technology. Right. We're not talking about replacing just drivers. This is closer, I would say, taking it way back. This is yeah. closer to the uh, not invention, but discovery of fire. I would put the internet on the same level as that. AI on the same level, I think. Yeah, or just the internet in general. Yeah. Well, I, I think like internet is just another way to speed up communication. Yeah. Right. But I would say it's affected things on that level. Like what other technology has done that? Maybe like printing press. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Not at the same rapidity. That's information, speed of information. I mean, nothing has changed the world as quickly as the internet. Yeah. But that is also kind of a necessary consequence of compounding, you know, interest of technology. Yeah. I just meant more of like how it changes literally everything. Like right. there's like, it's very hard to name anything that's not touched by the internet. Now. Yeah. Like I can't actually name a thing. What would be a thing actually? Hunting? I bet people buy it's probably use GPSs and, like and GP- stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it's know. True. Like, it's yeah. touched like everything basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, yeah. I mean, I can't name a thing that, I guess physical books, but we buy them online. Buy them online. Yeah. Someone tell me one thing that has been touched by the internet. This is making me depressed. I know. <laughs> or impressed. I don't know. Yeah, I literally. But the reason I brought up fire is like that affected so much, right? It was like how we ate our food. Like probably it enabled nighttime activities, which in right. the past would have probably consisted of sex and sleeping. Now you could probably talk at night or like not be scared of getting hunted. So, you know, you could have a fire. So you're not going to have like wolves yeah. come after <laughs> you. I don't know. It just seems like that was that would probably affect a lot of things. Cooking food. Right, probably right. would be like that affected our brain sizes and stuff and yeah i don't know like maybe the steam engine yeah it's pro- i mean but it's something like that that's a good point though no other tech has touched everything yeah the same way all i'm saying the only reason i'm saying this is to your point i actually totally agree with you that it's naive to think like oh like well cars when they replace horses like we figure that no i don't think that's complex enough of an argument well i think case. where it breaks down is that the cars were replacing one technology right. whereas ai will replace all jobs also to your point about useless class versus useful class it's not like horses have gone extinct but there are way fewer horses now than there were pre-car yeah way way fewer fewer. horses (laughs) so like yeah we're not saying like humans are gonna go extinct necessarily but i think population will go down i think so too yeah and we're already seeing that birth rates have slowed down dramatically and we're we're not at decline in global population but the slope is they say nine 
billion will be where it peaks and then it'll come down from there, which makes sense. Makes total sense. There's, I mean, there's like, there's no reason for that many people. Right. Right. And we, I mean, the old incentives for having tons of kids were that most of them would die. Right. And now that just doesn't happen as much. Which is so, great. That's awesome. Yeah. Which is awesome. But it's like, that's why we see most nations were under replacement. Right. Well, most like uh, developed nations, I guess. Yeah. Because yeah. you need like 2.2 births per woman. And I think, I mean, the US is like 1.9. Is it 2.2 because people don't live to adulthood or? It's because they don't live to reproduction age. Yeah. Okay. So, so I wonder if that number itself will go down. That'll probably go down Maybe like 2.1 or 2.05. Yeah. If, especially if we have like self-driving cars. Yeah. Because it's something like, uh, don't quote me on this, but it's some terrifying number you. that like over 20% of if you were going to die before reproductive age, it's like a scary high chance that it is from a car at this point. I right? would believe that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you make it past childbirth, but then you don't make it to having children, it's like you probably died of a car accident or some other you know thing like that. But nothing is quite comparable to car accidents. Yeah. yeah. It's like a magnitude of its own. Exactly. So once we have self-driving cars, then I bet the necessary reproduction rate would go down a little bit. I think the argument, if it was only self-driving cars as a technology that was changing things, that's more akin to cars. That's more akin to cars and horses. But AI will affect everything. All the taxi drivers do. Okay, I'm sure there'll be something. But they can't. They they can't go be accountants because the accountants will get replaced too. Exactly. And the paralegals and the first level, first year law students. In the speed, we've never seen the speed before. Right. Because I mean, there are whole VC funds that invest in AI companies replacing white collar jobs. Right. I mean, I've, I've got a friend who works at a consulting firm and his team's project is to create basically machine learning systems that can replace their first year analysts. Right. Yeah, well, and so that's just yeah. kind of like, that's I'm sure at least a few thousand jobs across the country, right? Yeah. Maybe tens of thousands if you count in IBM and the other consulting sure. firms and stuff. And then that type of tech can be applied to, you know, entry level account executives at financial firms, I'm sure. And, you know, first year law students and all of this stuff. Right. And then it's going to hit everything at once. And with a rapidity that, you know, we probably just haven't seen before. Yeah. Most probably. I mean, we could be totally wrong. Which will make it pretty hard to repurpose yourself to another area. Yeah. So I guess from a skill standpoint, what would you suggest people do to make themselves part of the useful class? So that's hard because so, I mean, one argument I've heard is that doing things where there is a necessary human touch is really good. So the, the one I've always heard is like massage therapist. But after reading Homo Deus, I find that less convincing because you could have like a perfect massage bot with a perfectly soothing voice, like tailored to your preferences and like the right music and pressure and everything. I was going to say massage bot sounds less likely than prostitute. Like massage bot could be replaced because I'm just picturing you're not going to see the massage bot. Right. But like sex robots seem like that would be less that would be that, more difficult come first just because but, no it'll come man. first but i feel like it would not necessarily be a replace it would not replace humans that easily right like sex bots hard. it would be very hard to get like the exact same experience yeah yeah, it's yeah like yeah. another human that's what i'm trying to say whereas a massage bot i feel like if you're like i'm you just get picturing a massage you're not even seeing them like as long as it felt good right it would be fine well so in homo deus the least likely to be replaced according to that last study was paleontology right which is interesting and i think you know, my hypothesis would be one, it requires a ton of experience with surveying and all of that, but also it doesn't make much money. That's what I was, that's where I was going to go with it. Yeah. It so would, I like, think there's that, no incentive. To exactly. Things where there's a big incentive to be replaced, that is what will get replaced first, right? Like doctors and yeah. lawyers and financial analysts and accountants and programmers and designers and like all of that stuff will probably go first because there's so much money if you can replace it effectively whereas i don't know writing 
Writing is hard. I, I would believe that an AI could write a pretty damn good book if they wanted it to, because yeah. they can write haikus and make yeah, music. And, seen that. But I mean, the nice thing, the thing with music is that it's very mathematical, right? Like fiction is not mathematical. Right. It requires like a pretty good grip on language and stuff. And if you've seen like these AIs try to write even like short stories, they're horrible. I know, they're so bad. I've seen they're that. hilariously yeah. bad. So that gives me a little... A little hope. hope. <laughs> yeah. But I was thinking about this the other day. And if I was better at programming, I don't think so conceptually, this would be very easy to do. I'm not sure if the technology is there, but I bet I could get an AI to write 90% of a really good SEO post just based on pulling from information already on the internet. Right. So like combining our strategies with some good writing algorithms with what's yeah. already on the internet, I bet I could at least get an AI to write a really good outline for an article that you then have a freelancer fill in. Yeah. So, so speed up, speed up the process, speed up the process considerably. Right. So that's where an area where you kind of have the paired ability. It's like augmentation mm-hmm. in that sense. And then you might need half as many writers. Right. Because it, it takes them half as long to write an article if the outline's already provided right. for so them with links one, to all the research. Yeah. So each one is like double the Twice productivity. Productive, yeah. Exactly. That future doesn't seem too far off. That seems like it's if I, if I had the budget, already. I would build that. Seems like tool. it's basically here. Yeah. Yeah. But it's probably expensive to pay someone yeah. to do that. So. And again, there's not that much money in it. <laughs> right. I guess the cost of your freelancers isn't enough to make it worth it to develop this thing. But some industries, yeah. it might be worth it some already. Industries so they're probably going after it already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you're a partner at an accounting firm and you can replace all of your accountant analysts and you can just keep that. all of the money from all your clients and have the AI prepare all their taxes. Your margin gets incredibly, like, incredible. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's you have all the incentive to do that. Definitely. Yep. So should we just hop on this last one here? Yeah, this was a good question. I'm trying to figure out the best way to summarize this question because it's it's a long question. I'll just read it. All right. This question is from Bill. Bill M. Bill M. This question is titled, or at least I guess we titled it. We titled it. <laughs> <laughs> is there a trade-off between happiness and achievement? We know from research what makes you happy. It's basically what would make a hunter-gatherer happy a shared sense of purpose, contributing to the community, close relationships. We also know from research what it takes to be a top achiever. See Mastery episode. Appreciate the shout out, Bill. Deliberate practice, political skills, and loose ties. However, it seems there's a hard trade-off between happiness and achievement given limited resources and time because the skills you need to develop to become a top achiever are the same skills that make you less happy, making it impossible to maximize both. Spending time and deliberate practice means you focus on your own strengths and weaknesses instead of contributing to shared purpose. Mastering political skills means being willing to act against your in-group in order to appeal to a wider audience of customers, users, voters, etc. Professional opportunities come from loose ties, but spending time cultivating your loose ties means less time nurturing your close relationships. You may say, well, of course there's people who choose to do 50% happiness and 50% achievement, but this is not the question. The question is, must the two numbers sum to 100%? Can you do 100% happiness activities and 100% achievement activities? Or must they always be 100 to 0, 75 to 25, 50 to 50, etc.? Is 75, 50 impossible? If it is possible for the two numbers to sum to, let's say, 150% instead, then what tactics must be used to do this? Am I committing some kind of logical error in this line of reasoning? Or is there some assumption I'm overlooking? That's a great question. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah, I hadn't thought about this before. No. I mean, I think we've maybe thought about it we, like in a tangential way, but I never thought about this explicitly. Well, it came up in a big way 
in Homo Deus. Yeah. Right. Because that was sort of one of his arguments for humanism, right? Was that we agreed to sacrifice purpose in return for power. And I, I mean, I think Bill's outline of it here is really good and kind of relates to what Harari was saying is that there is this somewhat strong delineation between what you do for purpose and what you do for power. Yeah. And, you know, it, I'm not 100% sure if, I, I guess, so where it gets tricky, I think for me when reading this is talking about activities as 100% happiness and 100% achievement, right? And I don't think that anything will ever be 100% of either and or both. Yeah. But then the question is, can you, maybe the real question is, can you have a healthy balance, right, of happiness and Although achievement? He Although he said that's not the question. <laughs> well, I mean, well, and this is where it's hard, right? Is he right. saying, no, he's saying, of course, people who choose to do 50 and 50. But the question is, must the two numbers sum to 100? And I guess then the question is, is any trade-off in power? One. Yeah, does it trade like, off? Yeah, does yeah. any gain in power necessarily detract from happiness? Right. Or can you increase power and increase happiness? Yeah. And that, I don't know. So I don't know. This is definitely the right for me, the same yeah. answer. I was thinking when I first read this question, I was thinking one thing, which is like the internet sort of gives us this, and I keep going back to the internet, whatever. It's a big thing. It's an important thing. The internet gives us the ability to like compare ourselves to the whole world, which definitely takes away from the in-group experience. But that is kind of your choice. Like you can cult, like I know you've uh, not, I mean, yeah, you've probably done this. You've, well, you don't even have Facebook anymore, but you can like unfriend or unfollow all the people you don't care about on Facebook. And just have like a little in-group of people you actually really do care about. You're not comparing yourself to everybody else anymore, right? And same thing with like Instagram. You choose who you follow on Instagram. You don't need to necessarily have the whole world on there. And same thing with Twitter. You could just follow, you know, certain people. But I still think that doesn't answer the question of does it need to be a 50-50 thing? Because by limiting yourself to the smaller in-group and cultivating those relationships, you lose the ability to increase your network as much as possible, right? So you're sort of trading off the power part. If you're saying, hey, I'm not going to engage with people outside of these 10 friends on Instagram, you're never going to build a big Instagram following then. We may be creating a false dichotomy here in that I think that you can increase power by focusing on a very small group, Yeah. right? Like it is not necessary to have lots of loose ties to have more power, especially in an era of, you know, ability to multiply your efforts very yeah. effortlessly <laughs> via the internet, right? Because I was just thinking... With my own work with Growth Machine, I mean, a lot of our initial clients came from either my 10 or 20 closer friends or referrals from them. Right. Right. So just between that combination, just between those, you know, close ties, we were able to, you know, grow the business fairly quickly. Right. It didn't come from having tons and tons of loose ties. Right. Or, you know, shared sense of purpose is something that makes you happy. I feel like I have a shared yeah, sense of purpose from yeah. with my. You team. can get that from a company, definitely. Or I mean, you and I are here hanging out, right? And you know, I mean, like, okay, by growing this podcast, we are increasing our power or our achievement, right? But we are also, I find, like, I think I'm increasing my happiness. Yeah, do this is fun. Yeah, it's fun, right? So I think there are, and I don't think that we're well. Actually, I mean, okay. So here's the question then, which is, this is a hard one. There is an opportunity cost to us doing this, right? Because this is for both of us our like least profitable venture. Oh, definitely. Right. Like you and I would both make more money if we spent this time on our other businesses. Yeah. Well, then especially if you add in the reading time and like all this stuff. Yeah. But we do that for, that's like fun. But I guess to his point, that would be a happiness activity. Exactly. So, you know, there could be the argument that if we spent, you know, 
these hours on you know, our other business stuff and our reading hours on other fun stuff, we would have more fun. We're having the fun and more business when we're doing the business instead of, you know, doing this and having like a blended experience. So to his point, that would be like 75, 25 versus 50, 50, which is kind of, well, it could actually be like 70, 20, right. Right. Where, oh yeah. And I think there could actually be a point or an argument to be made for that, which is that uh, a blending necessarily detracts from both sides. Yeah. Because I thought about this. Like with, the magnitude won't be as great as it would be if it was. Yeah. Well, it's just like a compounding effect from focus, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's the problem with doing digital nomadism is that you're never really traveling and you're never really working. <laughs> yeah. And so, so you kind of do both of them poorly. And it's not like you're 50% traveling, 50% working. You're like 40, 40, right? And the yeah. other 20% is just, you know, trying to find Wi-Fi and coffee shops <laughs> and like waiting in airports, you know, doing all this other they're like shit that slips in between the cracks. And so, yeah, I mean, it may just be that, I don't know, man. I don't think he's committing any logical error here. No, he's not. I, I think it's just, it's tough, right? Because, you know, obviously the, the immediate response is like, oh yeah, well, we should just focus on one at a time. But, you know, doing like a pure mastery thing with no care for that sounds like a horrible life the happiness of it doesn't sound desirable either (laughs) right but and then at the same time like just being pure you know let's be jeremy bentham and like maximize pleasure indiscriminately like that doesn't sound desirable either right right although uh, so here's here's the question then though which is we're only talking about first order effects yeah right but i think there's a second order and third order to all of them which we're considering on like a subconscious level which is giving us the hesitation and those might be where we actually have to think right where you know, the first order effect of us doing this podcast is that we're losing good business time and we're losing good reading time, but we may actually be gaining productivity in that this is distracting us from doing other side projects that yeah. would be like losses. You know? And it's also forcing us to learn a lot of these concepts yeah, that we see in these books and force us to get through harder books that might actually be good for us. Right. And we're, you know, sharing news with each other and hanging out. Yep. And it's actually, I mean, for me, like one of the motivations of doing something like this is that it's hard to hang out with people yeah. in New York. It is. Everybody's so busy. Everyone's so busy and like a crazy schedules. And so if we have a fixed time every week, it yeah. forces it, right? So we're getting the social out of it. Right. And some of the business. So yeah. I don't know how that falls in the calculus. And then there's also the upside potential as well. Like we talked about, like if for whatever reason this podcast got popular, right? It's like it could also be productive. But we, yeah. but, but as you said, the day to day wouldn't change. Like we'd still be doing the same shit. <laughs> right, right. We'd still probably be drinking mushroom coffee and goofing off, goofing off with pepper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, going on tangents. Going on tangents. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's still hard to answer the question though. Yeah. Well, okay. There's also a big assumption here. That what makes you happy is only these sort of three things. There could be other things too yeah. that do coincide with the achievement side. Well, and I think achievement does make you happy. Like learning. I would say like learning, at least for me, learning new things is like yeah. pleasure. And But it's also a good achievement related thing. It kind of fits in both categories. That could be where what the goal is really, yeah, right? is finding that overlap where, you know, what can you do that creates deliberate practice while also contributing to the community or, you know, giving you a sense of purpose yeah. and meaning, right? Like, I think those things exist and that is probably a good life goal, yeah. right? That overlap is probably where you want to be. It's finding that overlap. So that's really interesting because it could be, okay, like for most people, let's say 100% is sort of the maximum and then you can divide that up in these different ways and that's like most activities. But if you find that intersection, it allows you to surpass 100. It's like superpower. Or you can never hit 100 without the intersection. What I was going to say is that it would require a perfect intersection to hit 100. It's like two, it's like a Venn diagram, right? And then so most people, you know, when they're 
doing work, right? It's like 80% work and 20%, you know, happy or, you know, they're goofing off, which is, you know, like 100% happy, right? Mm -hmm. But then if you can, you know, really hone in on, I guess, like what you're passionate about and how you have your work life structured, then you can have 100% achievement and 100% happiness, like at the same time. I don't, I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah. But it could also be a, I think, especially when we start talking about happiness too. Yeah, it's a hard thing to define. It's a hard thing because yeah. it's so, it's so, a, so nebulous, like ethereal and nebulous and there's different kinds of happiness. Right. Like there is definitely active pleasure, which is, you know, like doing this podcast. Yeah. But if I'm really tired at the end of the day, I don't want to do this podcast. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If I'm like burned out from 12 hours of work, yeah. like I want to watch Black Mirror. Right. right? I don't yeah. want to do anything, but that doesn't mean that that's not happiness or this isn't happiness, yeah. right? It's like they're different forms for different situations. Exactly. So there's got to be, I guess, like that balance there. Yeah, it's a hard thing to just quantify in just like a single number. And sometimes you have to do work things that yeah. you don't want to do. Right. It's just like part of the territory. Yeah, or even like there's things related to what make you happy that might not be as pleasurable. Like, for example, you somebody might like really enjoy playing a certain sport. It might be a professional mm-hmm. athlete, but they might not like the conditioning part of it. Right. But you know to get your joy at the highest level you're going to need to go through you that. You have to do that. That's a good example. Yeah. Or yeah, like everybody it's like a has a necessary to... sacrifice for your joy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or I mean, somebody who just, you know, loves video games, right? Yeah. And like that is their passion. And so they work a job that they're just okay with because it funds their ability to go home and, you know, really enjoy this pastime, right? Like yeah. there's nothing wrong with that life. Yeah. And they're not necessarily like it'd be awesome if they could get a job doing video games maybe they can right they grow a twitch account whatever yeah right but until then they're still doing like what's good for them yeah let's say what makes them happy what makes them happy yeah yeah it's yeah, so, a good it's question. question yeah it's a good like philosophical question yeah. like how do you increase the overlap so you get closer to 100 100 yeah. right and you can even think about it kind of heuristically as you're going through your day right like heuristically take a shot yeah <laughs> <laughs> made you drink uh <laughs> hashtag made you drink we want to get a spirit sponsor. Anybody who runs a spirits company, hit us up. That'd be fun. We'll take a shot every time we say the word heuristic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Made you, we need a, a good type of spirit that goes well with uh, the branding for the show. What would it be? Something like bougie and intellectual. Maybe red wine. You can't take yeah. shots of red wine. Oh, no, you can't. But red wine would go well. Red wine would go well with the show. That's, red that's wine what would we're go usually doing. Fantastic with like a postmodernism episode. Oh, yeah. totally see like. Swilling a glass of red wine. We need a we need a wine. We need an alcohol sponsor, and we need a uh, like amphetamine sponsor, and then we'll really be good to go. <laughs> Pfizer, get on that. Yeah, come on. <laughs> oh, ADHD. Uh, I, I, that's an article I want to write sometime. What is? Uh, like how to get an ADHD prescription. Oh, that sounds like perfect for your audience. Oh yeah, Sorry, just like show how audience. stupid the system is. Right. Like take an afternoon and just walk into random clinics and see how easily I can get one. Right. I would definitely read that. Yeah. I think that'd be kind of funny, especially if I can. I, I don't know if it's legal to record yourself doing that. It might not be. You can always write about it later. You can always write about it later. But like, I don't think you can release the audio if you record the other person without them knowing without uh, a warrant. Yeah. Right. So it's like you, you can't wiretap someone because then both parties don't know they're being listened to. But one person can wear a wire if like the cops authorize it, I think. Actually, you know what? You can record somebody and release it. You just can't use it in court. Okay. Yeah. So as long as you're not suing anybody. Yeah, exactly. You're in good shape. I think that's true. I'll ask, I'll ask my dad. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good ask person. Ask your dad to before. With. Yeah. yeah. 
He would know, I hope. He would know. Exactly. Well, that's like his whole job. So. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I mean, no, we're totally on tangents. But if anybody wants to stay up on all the Trump Mueller stuff. Oh, yeah. He has some great articles. He's on been that. like, he was number one on Washington Post for like three yeah, days last week. Yeah, I saw he just week. had another article, I think, this week, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Washington Post on it. Because he's, I mean, he's just been on, on fire. So You can follow him on Twitter. Because, I mean, he was a white collar prosecutor for years, at least like over a decade, I think. Oh, wow. And so now that he's retired from that and teaching it at GW, he can be like, a super authority on it without still being connected to the Department of Justice, mm-hmm. right? So it's like a great position for him. I mean, Trump getting elected is one of the best things that's ever happened to his <laughs> like Black writing Swan. career. Yeah, Black, Black Swan. Swan. Yeah. So now everyone's interested in white collar crime. Yeah. Before, I mean, nobody <laughs> really was reading it as voraciously as they are right. now. Right. It wasn't so, entertaining. Yeah, his Washington Post has been blown up. Yeah, you can check that out on Twitter. What's his Twitter handle? Uh, at R.D. Eliason. Nice. Yeah. So, all right. I think we... Made it through. We made it through seven out of our millions of questions that we were did. Submitted. These were our favorites. The rest of you, we'll get to you next time. Next time, <laughs> next episode. You can keep submitting them though if you have ones that come up. Well, actually, you only find out when the next one's coming up if you're on the email. True, list. you have to be on the email list. Yeah, you have to go to majorthinkpodcast.com and sign up. Yeah, a lot of people have been signing up. I they like have. It. Yeah, yeah, it's been going up, which is yeah. great. So you'll you'll find out about upcoming books we're doing, any events or other fun things as those happen, and obviously new sponsors. There's a new sponsor coming up. Hint, hint. Probably next episode. Yeah. So and they've got a good deal for you guys. It's a pretty cool product. So be excited to share that with you. Yeah, it's very different from a lot of the things we've done so far. Yes. And yeah, we have to be a little more serious with this one because we're not uh, we're not friends with the people (laughs) (laughs) referring. So we're nice to our sponsors. We're nice to our sponsors. No, we're not nice to them. I assume that if we're talking about you know using this stuff as shampoo, they're gonna be like, all right, come on, guys. (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. Uh, Yeah, we should probably actually look at what we're supposed to say set boundaries yeah (laughs) but yeah i guess uh yeah aside from that we already told you about uh four sigmatic mushroom coffee and other mushroom wonderful goodness uh four sigmatic.com slash think check them out also as always you can check out kettleandfire.com slash think for some wonderful delicious bone broth and actually you know what we never we never really read off as much for kettle and fire perfect keto so we can grab we're going to his kettle and fire shelf that he has right you still got the shelf oh yeah I might grab one of those from you. More than welcome to have one. Oh, the perfect keto. Okay. See, we're giving our sponsors their money's worth. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to do a somewhat serious reading here. Okay, so in this, you know, so Kettle and Fire, shelf-stable, grass-fed bone broth. They're, you know, one of the only companies that actually does this. A lot of the other kind of like quote-unquote shelf-stable bone broths you see are made from this like weird paste oh, leftover. Yeah, Google yeah, you, you should Google, Google how this stuff is made. It's, it's going to make you... A lot of their competitors are just straight-up nasty. So, yeah. <laughs> it, and the thing is, those other... They are, I think, I think Kettle and Fire is the biggest purchaser The biggest of, purchaser of bones in the country. I think grass-fed bones, Grass-fed right? bones, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. In the country, which is wild. Which That's is amazing. crazy. Yeah, but it also cool. makes sense because, as you said, the other brands that are out there, a lot of them are using this weird like effectively like waste parts of the animal yeah but then calling it bone broth there's probably some percentage if you hit that of bones then you're allowed to call it bone yeah it's one of those things you're like unregulated one of those you like don't want to know what's in the product whereas this product is 100 percent grass-fed bones yes and it tastes delicious you can tell it does so definitely check that out what flavor is the one you're holding? This is the beef. Mm. So I would say if you're going to cook, get the beef. If you want to drink it, get the chicken. Oh, the chicken tastes better. Is there a difference in what's better for you or not better for you? Or are they just different? I think they're just different. I don't think one's necessarily better for you than the other. I know that if you're eating actual meat, beef is better for you. Okay. Because like chicken is just yeah, kind of, right. yeah, it's like there's not that much extra nutrient in it. Yeah. It's fairly like low fat, all of that. But I think for the broth, it's basically the same. Okay. But the chicken's flavored for drinking. 
because according to Justin, at least when they are, when they started the company, they thought people were going to use the broth for cooking. Yeah, and so which, they, which I, makes sense. Imagine, right? That's what you yeah. would assume. And so they made the beef broth less flavorful because they didn't want to override whatever flavors you were using for cooking. Yeah. And then they started selling it and everyone was drinking it. And so they were like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll make the chicken one more flavorful then because that's what people are using it yeah. for. And also, I mean, if you can get it, like go to Whole Foods and get their chicken and mushroom one. Yeah. Because that one's, that one's delicious. That is the most delicious yeah. one by far. It's amazing. Yeah. But their deal with Whole Foods, they can't sell it online. So you got to go into Whole Foods. And Whole Foods doesn't give us they a don't, cut. Yeah. Yet. They don't accept the code. Bezos, thing. get on that. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be cool if that would be check cool. out Bezos Ooh. was like, hey, everybody, if you use code think affiliate codes for Whole Foods purchases, that would be sweet. I don't think they're going to do that. Probably not. It's probably probably that'd but be awesome. be nice. I mean, I'm, I'm happy enough that we can now get avocados for $1.50 from Whole Foods. Yes, yeah. that's, that's bonkers. A that's a win. They knew how to entice millennials to start shopping there. Yeah, like, just make avocados cheaper. <laughs> It'll bring them in and then we're good. Exactly. So kettle and fire, delicious shell stable bone broth. Get it. Put it in your face and you'll be a happy, healthy person. You can put it in your hair. Put it in your hair. hair. You put it anywhere. Pepper would like you. All over your body. And then Perfect Keto, perfectketo.com slash think for all of your ketogenic diet related needs. Goes very well with the bone broth, not in the same drink, but in the in the same life, right? So ketogenic diet is, you know, very high fat, lets you maintain a state of ketosis, which is when your body is burning ketones for fuel instead of glucose. A few benefits of that, improved mental functioning, much lower like hunger swings, you know, if you're in ketosis, you literally just like don't get hungry, which is pretty cool. And it's the state that your body is in when it's using its own fat reserves, right? Which is part of, you know, what it's designed for. If you're living as a hunter gatherer, you're not eating three square meals a day. Yeah, you're happy. (laughs) Usually. Yeah, usually you're not obsessed with power. Uh, and you're in ketosis a good amount of time and you could switch in and out. Most people are just totally glucose adapted. They're always in gluconeogenesis. I think that's what it's called. And, you know, getting on a keto diet can help you regain some of that ancestral bodily functioning. Do you ever notice a mental fog when you pop out of ketosis or oh, do yeah, you just never 100%. pop out of ketosis? No, no, no. I, I pop out most evenings. Okay. So what I'll usually do is I'll have a keto lunch and then I'll have like some carbs with dinner. Yeah. Because I've noticed it's just, that's a much easier diet to sustain for me. Yeah. But, and you're probably a easy you don't have to think so much about like oh where am i going to go eat if i have to do a dinner with somebody or something yeah it's just like you can you're mostly in keto right at that point anyway and the thing too is the more time you spend in keto the better your body gets at going in and out oh, of it okay because you get Which back is probably to, more ancestral exactly yeah anyway. it's more ancestral yeah. your, your body becomes much faster at switching in and out the first time you switch to a keto diet it's gonna suck yeah it takes seven days to like fully get in it for most people and you'll feel like you have the flu you'll feel miserable you'll be like what am i doing to myself this is awful but it's because your body hasn't done it probably for since you Ever, were born. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it should be a normal thing it's doing. So, but once you do it once. Probably like running. Exactly. It's yeah. Like you yeah. have not run in your entire life and then someone makes you run a mile. You're going to want to like kill them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you're going to get up to two, three, four miles pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Same thing with keto, right? Just get through it the first few times. And then after that, I mean, I can kind of pop in and out really, really easily now. Yeah. And I don't get any symptoms from going out and going back in. But you can tell when you're out and when you're in. I can tell when I'm out. I mean, I know when I'm out just based on what I've been eating. Sure. Yeah, right? that's true. So it's not, right, yeah. If I have exactly. a bunch of rice with dinner, and that's usually the only carb I'll have. I'll occasionally have you know certain bread if it's like a special occasion. But rice is mostly the only other carb that I have now. And so if I have that for dinner. No quinoa? I don't like quinoa that oh, much. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I, I like it fine, but okay. I just like rice better. Okay. Rice is rice does taste pretty good. Yeah. I've actually I've this could just be like an adapted kind of thing. I don't know if like I'm obviously influenced by media as much as anybody else, but I like I actually come to really enjoy the taste of quinoa. 
Yeah. Depends what you put with like what you have with it though. Like you definitely okay. need something flavoring it. Yeah. You can't just make plain quinoa and think it's like gonna be that good. Right. So I put like spices and boiling it and like there is a flavor. Also, if you put a little bit of butter in mm-hmm. it, you melt that in there. That always of course, like, that helps with everything. Anything butter. Yeah. yeah I don't know. <laughs> that's how the French get such good food. It's like <laughs> that's their secret. Butter. They just put butter in everything. Well, and that's how you do a keto diet too. Yeah. Just lots of butter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, so I've, I, that's been my go-to carb for, with dinner has been quinoa with just some spices and butter. And, you know, not a lot, but, you know, it's good. Tastes pretty good. But if you want to eat that way, where you have a keto-friendly lunch and maybe some carbs with dinner, the perfect keto supplementary ketones are excellent for popping you back into ketosis in the morning. So they just help speed up that process a little bit. Gives you a little, a little like mental boost. Feels great. And their flavors are delicious. Definitely recommend the coffee or the sea salt and chocolate. That's also so good. Yeah, it's delicious. So also, did we just go on a tangent during the sponsor portion of well, the episode? You That's know, I, awesome. I feel like we needed to <laughs> spend a little more time with the sponsors because the last few <laughs> episodes we've been sort of rushed and wrapping up we and we had to like kind of bang through the sponsors. I, I miss yeah. our, our long, you know, silly sponsorship. Plugs, this is why people so. listen to the Exactly. The yeah. They just I, skip ahead. I actually had one of our listeners tell me that he basically realized at some point that he was like really enjoying the outro. And then he's like, I realize it's the same sponsors every time, but I always listen through the whole thing because you never know what they're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of true. It's the benefit of not pre-recording your outros. Yeah, right? exactly. And having no intros. More, more authentic. More authentic, <laughs> exactly. You know that we are literally just hanging out and talking <laughs> with the products right in front of us. Yep. So. See? Yep. You can see them right That's here. The... You can hear them. Yeah. <laughs> We're really just like banging glasses. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is my mushroom coffee. Mushroom coffee. <laughs> iPad. <laughs> oh, it's like we're in a stomp performance. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Anything right, else? Anything oh, else? reviews. Yeah, leave a review on iTunes, please. Thank you to everyone who's done that already. Yep, those are super helpful. Yeah, actually, every other listener except you has done it. Yeah. So, and you know <laughs> who you have, are. We don't have that many listeners then. Jeff, yeah. <laughs> we're talking to you. You haven't left a review. So, uh, no, but if you are listening and you haven't, that'd be awesome if there's somebody named Jeff listening who's like, oh, shit, I need to leave a review. And we see our next review. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, like, oh, you got me. <laughs> All right, Jeff, you got your weekend task. Yeah. Well, I guess it's not. We'll just pick a new stereotypical, like, white American (laughs) name each episode. (laughs) All right. Well, John. Although then then people will say we're being racist, right? Like, oh, you need some other names in there. (laughs) Now, I I can't say one now, though, because any name that I I was just (laughs) deciding whether you you were giving me that look. You're like, I can't wait to see the word that comes. I was waiting. (laughs) (laughs) And you were definitely doing a calculation. Which one can I get away with? (laughs) All right, we're going to just move past that yep, one. All right. We're, whoop, uh, <laughs> but yeah, reviews are super helpful for guests. We have a couple other guests coming on soon. Not just Adil, who you heard three straight times in the last one. Shout out to Adil, though. He's a, a good guest. But yeah, it helps us get guests. It helps more people see the show because we get shown up as a recommended podcast. And then it also just inflates our egos, which is always it's good. good. It makes us happy. Yeah. So yeah, I guess other than that. Other than that, majorthinkpodcast.com slash support for any of these links. You can also click through to Amazon. Anything you buy on Amazon supports the show. If you click through our link first, make sure you bookmark that link. You can use the little thinking face emoji and then just click the emoji anytime that you want to buy something on Amazon. And that makes sure idea. that, oh yeah. That you should way, make a browser extension. Oh yeah. With just the little emoji. Are we well, allowed to do that? So people have gotten uh, in trouble with Amazon before for that. Jocko, God damn it, Amazon. Jocko had that, and they got they got spanked a little oh, bit. Oh, he did. I remember. Yeah, someone spanked Jocko. I no know, way. right? Yeah. No, <laughs> he's like shows up. He shows up at Seattle. Amazon headquarters. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, we're sorry. We're, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Here, you can have two affiliate links. <laughs> we'll double your earnings. <laughs> Don't hurt us.
Yeah, I think the only other thing, oh, the show notes. So, uh, you know, if people like want to see the links to things that we've been talking about during the show, Andres does a great job putting together some incredible show notes. So definitely go to the website, madeyouthinkpodcast.com. You can also see them in your podcast players. Yes, you some can. Some podcast players. You can't see it on iTunes or yes. the Apple podcast. You can see it on Apple iTunes. Podcast. You can. Really? Yeah, it comes through now? Oh, they updated it. Yeah, okay, now cool. you can now. Yeah, I think I saw that recently. Wait, let me... Before, actually, hold on. Hang on. Let's check yeah. this in real time. Before I give people like the wrong... Wait, let's just go to ours because yeah, I don't think other ours. I don't think other people use... Some people don't use show notes as we extensively. Have, we have exceptional show notes. Full description. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've got they it. They got now. it now. Oh, cool. They updated that. That's awesome. All right. So thank you, Apple. You can see it. Yeah. You can see it pretty much everywhere. Uh, the other cool thing you can do in some podcast players is since we give you timestamps. These are good show notes. I'm like looking at it right now. They're great show notes. I'd be, I'd want to listen to us. Yeah, man. Andres, these are, yeah. these are great. But yeah, you, you can also click through on the timestamps in some podcast players. Like if you listen through Pocket Casts, the timestamps are clickable to skip ahead in the episode. Right, which is kind of oh, cool, interesting. including all the links out from the site. Not that you would want to skip anything in no, our episodes, but, but for other podcasts that aren't nearly as engaging and exciting, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you want to skip their ads because their ads aren't quite as fun. Yeah. <laughs> but for us, you'd never do that. But you can click ours through all the links. Really, ours are barely ads. They're ads with like a lot of, they're comedy with ads mixed. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're practicing our stand-up routine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Airline food, all right? <laughs> Yo mama. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess on that note, Yeah, on that note, I think uh, I think we did it. Yeah, this was a fun, this was fun episode. Let us know what you thought. If this was boring, if this is interesting. If you want us to do something like this if, again. If we butchered your name. Yeah, feel free to reach out. <laughs> any questions? Any Also, any ideas for other ways to do this type of episode or, or, or other creative... Or just other episode types, too. If there's things you want to hear that we haven't done before, we just let us know. Open to experimentation. Yeah. As we said, this is a passion project. So. It is. Yeah. Cool. Till next time. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.